You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. In town. That's right. You guys like that song, right? From Thin Lizzy, also featured in Forty Eight Hours, but it's a different. It's actually a different song. But they're both called. You know, the boys are back in town. This is just one boy. That's me. Your boy, Doc Coyle, X Man, back on the air. I feel like an absentee landlord. Uh, apologize between for the gap between shows, uh, but you know it is it is a busy time. Uh, there's so much going on. Pretty much. Well, actually, I'll, I'll say with with regard to, to what's going on recently, it's it's really like the record industry shuts down last two weeks of December, but more or less like the first week of, of January as well. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, you have 50 things to do. And I'm actually recording this on the eve of Bad Wolves starting a European arena tour with Megadeth and Five Finger Death Punch, which is insane. <clears throat> Definitely a, a bucket list item. And leading up to this, it was rehearsals and you know the NAM conference in Anaheim, which is, you know, just a big centerpiece for what so many musicians do as far as business and networking. Uh that was going, which I didn't get to attend because Bad Wolves was our rehearsals uh, lined up right with that. But we did get to play Dime Bash which is a yearly event run by uh, Rita Haney, um, Dimebag Daryl's widow, and uh, Jose Mangan, and our guy Nick Bocott uh, works over at Sweetwater, former Marshall guy, but um, <clears throat> amazing event. I mean, this year they had, you know, Dave Grohl's been there the last couple of years, Sebastian Bach, Lita Ford, the Anthrax guys. It was it was pretty pretty damn amazing. We got to do some some heavy jams. Um, but yeah, so, so it's just been, like I said, went from nothing going on and sitting on the couch to got to practice songs, got to be in the studio, got to work on stuff. And, um, and unfortunately, you know, you guys know, I love the podcast, but the band comes first. And so sometimes you have to, you know, things, things get put on the back burner. It's funny. I think, uh, Josta, I think it's taking like a break break from his show because they're working on the new Hatebreed album. I'm not doing just that, but you know, sometimes in pairs like this, there are less, uh, less shows, but you know what? I hope that even if there is a gap between programming, you know, that I always want to keep, like, I just don't want to do a show just to do a show. I want it to be a quality guest and I want the, the, the content to the bar to stay high. So I'm going to, 
try and do that as much as I can. And I, and I do appreciate you guys um, continually supporting everything that I do. But with all that said, uh, I don't want to go too deep into any monologues or anything like that because you know, this is a pretty long show. We have a great guest and we also have a great show sponsor today. We have a band from Melbourne, Australia. Hope they're <laughs> too mad with my uh, pronunciation there. It's a band called To An End and I'm going to play a track entitled Left Untold. Check it out.
just heard the track Left Untold by To An End, alternative metal band from Melbourne, Australia. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really cool song, very well produced. And that is actually from their debut album, which came out in 2018, entitled Redefine. And it includes guest appearances from Chris Amat, Shredder from Arch Enemy, and uh, Chris Clancy, the uh, ex-vocalist of Mutiny Within. And uh, you can check that out on all streaming services, Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, etc. And you can also check out their website, toandend.com, or their Facebook page, Facebook backslash toandend. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Listen, I love uh, exposing new bands and, you know, having this relationship. I think it's, it's... it's really, really, really cool, and I'm and I'm hopefully you guys get something out of it because there's so much talent out there, and and the fact that this can be a place for artists to get heard, it's I think it's a pretty cool thing. So you know, I'm, but I'm not gonna break my arm, uh, patting myself on the back. If you would like to have your band played on this show and sponsor a show, please email email me at thexmanpodcast at gmail Remember that's ex, or just send me a message on social media. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! And so with the business out of the way, let's give a little quick intro to this week's guest. It's an old buddy of mine, a guy named Sean Glass, uh, has been in so many bands, Dirge Within, which is called, the, and then they changed the name to The Bloodline. He's been in Broken Hope and Soil. And, you know, and he's, you know, a figure that's 
definitely has a name for himself in uh, the industry side of things. And, you know, kind of, you know, Sean's one of those guys, I, I guess within our ranks, you know, has a reputation, which you hear, I, I, I bust his balls uh, <laughs> quite a bit in the in, in this talk, but he's someone I've, I've wanted to get on the show for a long time because he's, you know, one of those people that's just been involved for a long time and in different areas of the heavy music world. He's seen a lot and been around a lot, and he has a lot of just cool stories and, and experiences. So, um, you know, for me, it's definitely about getting these amazing big personalities that sometimes, uh, you know, the listeners, you know, the, you might not know. And he's one of those guys. So, so I've, this has been a long time coming. I wish I could have did it in person, but you know, we had to do it over Skype, but I, I think it still sounds okay. But anyway, without further ado, please check out my great talk with the awesome Mr. Sean Glass. So Sean Glass, welcome to the X-Man podcast. Thank you for having me on your show. It's awesome and uh long-time listener. First oh. time first time uh being on, so it's cool. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear. Well, you you know, you're you're someone that's been on the master list for for quite some time and you know, I as the the, the listeners know, I, I prefer to do these in person, but uh sometimes, you know, uh time waits for no man and you know, <laughs> I uh I was in this this one little spell right here where it's kind of been a little not super active, so I was like, you know what, I need I need a motherfucking guest, and I was like, can I, you know, I, I put put the feelers out, and 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 thankfully uh, you were available. So um, despite the fact that we weren't able to do this in person, I'm I'm really yeah. uh, really happy to finally have you on the show because you're you're one of these figures. Who's like, uh, and, I, and I, I like using that 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 word too. Figure, I'm you're five. Like, I'm five four, yo. Are you? Are you? <laughs> yeah, that's a figure. You're a figurine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, no. You, I, I feel like you're kind of a uh, superfluous. Um, superfluous. No, actually, that's that, that's not that's actually not the word I was I was looking for. Um, right. so you're like an ever present entity. I think within the metal world where you seems like you know everybody and if they don't, if you don't know them then they know you <laughs> that's funny and uh, well you know i guess i've been playing metal for a while right so it's kind of helped and obviously you know i try to put my finger into different areas besides just playing guitar you know and 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 that's you know one thing that i still enjoy in this crazy industry is being involved in other areas besides just you know playing gigs and playing metal and you know relaunching another new band which is crazy to think of but yeah i mean i like to be involved in stuff and to me it's it's still fun you know aside from the artistic side i still enjoy some of the other avenues per se yeah um well well that's kind of what i what i want to get get into so so i don't know how many people know your your full full background um and i don't you're one of those people i don't even know exactly when we met um i think we met i remember i was flown out to california at the time pavement records hired me to like do some something i don't even know and it was probably mid 90s right when you guys got signed to century media god forbid. we didn't sign till 2000 so i mean we were it had it yeah it was sometime around then so what were you doing for pavement at the time 
I was like just helping Mark Noir at the time, like rebuild his label because it was like in like a weird state. And I, I kind of did a little bit of A&R and then just, you know, some marketing and some quote unquote, you know, PR. Did you have so, a background and stuff like that before that? No, not really. But I was involved with so much with, uh, you know, previous bands when I was in Broken Hope doing interviews or in, even in the studio being involved with Brian Griffin at the time with, you know, the production side of things. And, you know, I get really, uh, even as a kid, right. That was like nineties with broken hope. I was in the band, like basically 93 and 97. And then like, I was involved, you know, with the production stuff and I got really involved with, you know, tones and that's something I just got an ear for, I guess. And, uh, you know, other people in the industry definitely throw stuff in my way, which is cool. Props to Monty Connor. He always likes my opinion. Sometimes we agree and don't disagree on mixes. But uh, that was that yeah, was actually so. in my in, in in my notes that you're uh, yeah a, a, a Mont, Mont, Monty Connor for you know for, for those who are listening who don't know Monty Connor is one of the uh, you know main uh, well he's he's at Nuclear Blast now I guess he's the main A and R at Nuclear Blast but he was one of them correct yeah he's he's the main dude he was the main dude at at Roadrunner and was involved with signing some of their most successful bands. But uh, apparently, you know, this is like purely through, through the grapevine, you know, Sean is, is one of Monty's go-to guys to like check out bands or, you know, to give the thumbs up or thumbs down. Or I guess he refers to you with, uh, with mixes you say as well. Yeah. We, we go back and forth the mixes or if he's, if he's in a rut and he, you know, he's got great ears, but if he's in a rut, he'll send me something like, Class, I really need your opinion on this. Please, can you listen to it tonight? And they'll send me like, you know, some crazy massive wave file that I have to download forever. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's cool. And sometimes me and him, you know, do disagree on certain, you know, tweaks or something. But usually, me and him are really on point. Or even with the song structure, it'll be like, "What do you think of this?" And like, I'm like, "Cut the third verse, yo. Get right to the, you know, chorus." But you know, stuff like that, you know. And, and it, it's cool. It's fun. And you know, I'm lucky to uh, have somebody of that high regard have you know uh, such trust in my ears, which is rad, you know. But I, I, I and it's cool for me also because it's not my band. So when I listen to other people's music and professional, you know, real bands with real good mixes from real credible mixers, it's fun for me. You know, like it's like it's like listening to music again in a fresh, you know, new new level, you know, so it's it's cool, you know. Well, I have a uh, one experience with, with, with you where you were ahead of the curve. You're the first person to ever tell me about Ghost. And ah. I have I still have the email. And really? You, yeah, you emailed me. Um, that's it was on their first funny. album. And, Love that record. And you were you were like, oh, check this out. And I and I, and so it's funny because I actually have the opinion, so I can't even like lie about it. You hated it. <laughs> Is I was like, oh, I was like, man, this sounds like <laughs> merciful fate. That's what I said. And, well, uh, it was. Yeah. You're right. And I and I kind of and I kind of like blew it off. And uh, when oh, I actually hope. like got into them was when I was bartending at Duff's, and it was on the, uh-huh. the jukebox, and people would play it all the time. And I w- didn't know what it was. I didn't. I didn't make. You any... didn't put two and two together. No, yeah. no I didn't. Because I probably when you sent it to, I probably listened to like a song or two and or whatever, a song and a half, and right, and turned Just it didn't, off. Did, yeah, you didn't dig it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so. I, I would hear it there, but without any priming. I would just it could, and it, to me, I was like, it, I just thought it was an older band. Like I was like, oh, oh yeah, I was like, oh, this is some band from the seventies or eighties that I just never, 
I never got into. And then and I was like, what? And now hear the songs, and they're like, oh, that's Ghost. And I was like, I was like, apparently I like this band. That's why I always give them the most credit because I'm like, I didn't get into them because I saw what they looked like or anything. Right. I just heard it, not knowing who it was, and I was like, man, this is really good. So, but like you're like laying in bed after work, humming the melodies, like. God damn! Dude, what was that? Right. Dude, good. Good is good, man. There's something in that. Uh, that, that Swedish water. I don't know. They yeah. Just, they you just... know. You know how I. You know how I got turned on to them was uh, a friend of mine worked at their label before they were on Metal Blade, and he's like, "Hey, man, have you heard of this band Ghost? And it's X guy from some Swedish death metal band that was a big fan of my old band Syndrome when I was a kid, right? And Syndrome put out two EP demos. Uh, finally, Century Media reissued him a, a few years back. But long story short, a friend of mine in Sweden was like, hey, man, um, Tobias is a huge fan of your old band Syndrome. Here's a photo of him as a kid wearing a Syndrome t-shirt in Sweden. And I was like, wow, let me check out his band. And then he sent me Ghost. And I was like, dude, I love Merciful Fate. Like, I get this. I hear Blue Oyster Cult. I hear Merciful Fate. I hear, you know, some other stuff. And I, I loved it. I was like, this is going to be huge. I knew it, too. I swear to God, I knew when I heard it, I was like, this band's going to blow up, man. And, you know, I remember playing my wife and going, this is the most evil band I've heard in years. <laughs> and it and it really was. It, it had that vibe. you know. I mean, there's things that come along that you're just like, you know, makes you, uh, you know, turn your head and go, wow. And it's so, yay, man. He obviously hit something because he's doing just fine. Yeah, they, they're <laughs> One of the top bands, and I, I love all their all their albums. But you know, this is not a podcast about Ghost, my friend. I just wanted to okay. point out that you you have a keen ear, and apparently, other other people in the industry have have, have noticed this. But so you mentioned a band called Syndrome. So I, I by the way, I didn't know about that. So thank you for kind of filling in some of the. Yeah, some, yeah. that was your first band. Pretty much, yeah. Like first real band that has fans and actually made stuff that I can listen to. Was it a yeah. death metal band? Pretty much death metal thrash. It was uh, the first EP was very huge influence on the uh, Entombed guys. Uh, the first EP demo is called Into the Halls of Extermination, and uh, the five songs like it, it blew up in Sweden. Like we sold so many demos in Sweden. We had a friend there that used to just go to the record stores there and just keep bringing in product. And he mail he'd like you know email or not email. He'd call us and say, "Hey, I'll buy another five hundred copies. I'm selling them like crazy." This store called House of Kicks. And like all the guys in at the gates, and all the guys in Entombed and Dismember, and uh, you know, obviously Bjorn from In Flames, he was a big fan. Like, so it's really cool. Like, all these Swedish metal bands were like so into Syndrome, and obviously the band had a cult fo- following years. And I was on two, we did two EP demos, uh, Into the Halls of Extermination, and then went through a lineup change with a new guitar player, and we went way more tech. Like, we went total like corner forbidden king diamond style which is awesome i love it but some of the diehard fans of the original stuff was like whoa they changed so much but now both eps and demos seem to get like pretty like cult critical praise but uh they're on like you go on spotify syndrome uh resurrection oh i found it i was looking it up <laughs> yeah, the so, complete collection i have to check this out yeah check it out the first five songs were recorded in chicago with a local guy, and then we went to the infamous Morris Sound Studio for the second five-song EP demo. Were you guys on the label? No, we were about to, and then there was a bunch of problems with lineup changes, and that's when I quit enjoying Broken Hope. Were you playing right bass after. in Syndrome or yes. guitar? bass. So you started, first, which, what was your first instrument? Bass. 
I was a bass player. I grew up, you know, I mean, my idols were like, you know, trying to be, you know, Gene Simmons and then Blackie and Voivod, Martin Ainge from Celtic Frost. Like those were my childhood heroes, you know, Cliff, obviously, and Jason Newstead. I played bass. And then when I left Syndrome after the two EPs, uh, I joined Broken Hope and they just signed to Metal Blade and put out the Bowels of Repugnance. And then I went on tour with them for two months in North America with Unleashed. So you were you were with Broken Hope for three years? Well, early uh, nine, back then. Well, I joined I joined on Bowels of Repugnance. The album was done, but I'm not on it. And then we put out an album in 95, Repulsive Conception, with me on bass. And then we put out another album called Loathing on Metal Blade in 1997 with me on bass. And then after Loathing, I was really burnt, totally burnt on extreme metal. And I wimped out, and, and me and a bunch of other guys from a death metal band, we all said, we are burnt. We are sick and sick of the weenies. Let's form a <laughs> rock band. We are, Let's form a rock band because we were listening to fucking Life Agony. We were listening to COC. We were listening to Alice in Chains. We were listening to stuff like that. And that's where our, you know, our hearts went. We were like, yo, we're not really in touch with uh, – you know, no offense, we weren't really in a cradle of filth at the time. You know, we wanted to jump. We were like, this ain't, this ain't, this ain't us, man. So we were all burnt on death metal, and a couple guys. It was three guys. They were in a band called Oppressor, and me and the Oppressor guys went on the hunt to find a rock singer, and we formed a band called Soil. So, so you you know that um, the Oppressor album Agony was actually a big influence on the yes. first God Forbid album. Like, yes, so you and a- your brother told me that. So there's there's like a couple spots where we do like these like dive bombs and like these scrapes th- like these weird scrape things like I guess the things that uh, Gojira does that everyone rips off now. We well, were like you know where it all came from, right? Morbid Angel, of course. But no, but but um, they would do it slightly. Uh, Oppressor did it a little different. Where now mm. everyone does the scrape thing with the harmonics with um, with like open harmonics mm-hmm. with. Uh, Oppressor would do this sometimes. They would basically do it with the artificial harmonic, so it was much harder, and it produced mm. a different. It was a different kind of sound. Interesting. Um, yes, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some shit going on. But, yeah. Um, but no, yeah. that, that, that. But before we get to get the soil, I just want to kind of talk about you know your kind of time doing time, as it were. I guess it, I guess it seems that way because it wasn't uh, the most enjoyable. But I mean. Chicago in general had at that time had a pretty good death metal scene. Oh right? yeah, oh yeah. Because you had sure. what Macabre. Macabre's been around longer than my socks. I mean, they yeah. were around when I was in my first band. I mean, I remember Jungle getting Rot. Mac- yep, Jungle Rot. Dave is one of my best friends. Actually, uh, I hooked him up with his wife. I was his uh, I was his uh, blind date hookup. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dave Matrice, yes, he was in Jungle Rotten. Before that, he was in a band called Numbskull. And uh, obviously, Chicago's got, you know, like Wrath, you know, classic old school, you know, heavy metal bands, stuff like that. But what did, I mean, what did you learn? You feel, because I mean, I mean, did Broken Hope, did it ever feel like it was your band? Or did you always feel like you were kind of in someone else's thing? Uh, you know, it, no, it, it felt like it, it did feel like our band. It didn't feel like it was just Jeremy or Griffin. Did you write? But, yes. I wrote a lot of songs. Uh, the first song when I joined the band was the first video on the metal blade album, repulsive conception. It was a song I co-wrote pretty much wrote 95% of the music. It was called into the necrosphere. 
And that was one of the first Broken Hope songs I wrote for the band when I joined in after touring with them i had to do the tour first to pay the dues and prove that i'm brutal enough and then after the tour you know they're like yeah and then i started showing them riffs you know and it was cool you know it was it was yeah and i wrote a lot but it was funny because during that time when i i was in broken Hub, i was playing bass but i never really played bass except for when i was on stage because when i was working with them and writing it was always on guitar like i couldn't be like hey man check out this cool riff Bum, 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 bum. I'm yeah. bass. It, di- it didn't work, yo. <laughs> so I was playing guitar. You know, like after I left Syndrome and joined Broken Hope, I I would shed, man. I sat in my parents' house with a little crate amp with a with a metal zone pedal and a Gibson Explorer and just practiced my balls off. Summer sitting inside just learning how to really play guitar and write, you know. And it was like, I was just like, I, I don't want to be a bass player. I want to play guitar. But I needed the gig when I joined Broken Hope. And I was really just, they were letting me write. So it was cool, you know. And bass is fun live, you know. I, I like it. It's a great instrument. But as a songwriter, it's not really exactly the place to be on as a, a songwriter. Unless you're Steve Harris or well, something. Well, not. I, I think it's hard in, in metal uh, as the primary. Because I know a lot, you know, if you're playing funk, if you're playing hip-hop. If yeah. You're, you know, even I think a, a lot of the the best rock bands um, where you can let, you know, the bass can kind of, you know, you listen to, you know, Zeppelin or, you know, Old Black Sabbath. And it's, it's like the bass yeah. is doing its thing, you know. Uh, I just, yeah, I just, it's got its, own, it's got its own, own song and body to itself. Correct? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot more, more freedom, you know, but I think it's really the genre where, you know, guitar, you know, metal and especially extreme metal, you know, the guitar and the drums are really kind of uh the forefront yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's 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 really the dominant expression i think it's kind of difficult to, to 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 get out of that um what did you like what in terms of touring you know in that scene uh you were like what, what, what kind of age were you around that we time? did oh man well let's see i was probably in my early 20s early maybe? 20s around, so, yeah so, we did we did some sick tours but like we did. Uh, we went to South America, played a festival with Sodom, went to Chile. Then we did North America tour with Unleashed. Then we did a headline tour with Monstrosity Invader. Then we did a Six Feet Under tour, the, the infamous tour where Barnes was getting fired at the end of the tour, but we didn't know that. We were sharing a bus with him on their first album with him and Alan West, The Haunted, Six Feet Under debut. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a fun tour. And then one of the best tours, actually, that we did uh, around 95 – I did about a month where we shared a bus with Deicide. Uh, they just dropped Once Upon the Cross. And uh, it was Deicide, Broken Hope, and uh, Locals. And it was a killer tour. Like, great camaraderie. It was the original lineup. It was Eric Hoffman. Uh, Broken Hope still had Joe Tychek and Ryan Stanek in the band, who are no longer alive. Uh, rest in peace. But we uh, we had a great tour. And that was one of my favorite tours. And it was great. you know. And then we... We did a lot of stuff, and then Metal Blade really didn't push the band overseas, and that became really a lot of frustration. Why the why one of the reasons I bounced in '97, but you know, also obviously I was getting into different music, but I was frustrated. I was like, man, all these bands are, are keep going to Europe, and Metal Blade's doing nothing for us. You know, we're you know three albums deep on this label, and your Metal Blade was just not believing in putting the band overseas. You know, basically at the end of the day, it's an expensive thing and even back then it was even more expensive probably because they didn't want to you know flip the bill 
<laughs> yeah, and and you got to think ninety five. That roughly was maybe the peak of death metal in many, in at least for that era. You know, in terms true. of record Very sales true. and yeah. ticket sales, and you know, and you know, I you know, I I guess you know, I guess I do come from an extreme metal background, but yeah, you know, but God, God forbid, was brutal. Bro. But we we never characterize ourselves as as death metal, even though we had a lot of death metal influence and. In, and, right. Uh, you no, know, you guys, you guys were in the, you know, love it or hate it. You were metalcore. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And that metalcore is alive and well. As the late dying, headlining House of Blues and selling it out. They're metalcore. There's nothing. Kill Switch Engage. They're metalcore. That, that genre is not dead. <laughs> no, I, I've listened. I've, I've argued uh, with my buddy Finn McKenty that I think today currently is the peak of metalcore. I think it's totally the biggest, agree. I think it's the biggest it's ever been. I'm like. Uh, Parkway Drive is doing arena tours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it may not be it may not be exactly what you guys were doing on Gone Forever, but the guts of it are, you know, yeah. and, and especially you know, Kill Switch is in that zone. There's good cop, bad cop vocals, you know. Well, they they kind of, I think in many ways they they weren't the first band to do that, but they were the most instrumental band in, in putting that formula together in a way that was the most copied kind of version of it. Right. But right. um no no I just I, I just kinda wanted to talk about the broken hope thing because I, I think the the dichotomy between what you were doing and and just culturally, right? Like like death metal, extreme metal is a is a culture. It's a lifestyle. Totally. Um, and sometimes to- the shirt's more important than the band. <laughs> <laughs> well I mean think about how many Jesus is a cut shirts have been sold in the you know? well, look at this. Hey, look at this way. I mean, they're more black metal, but I sure see a lot of Dark Throne shirts. That band never tours. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, you can go out for a lot of the, you know, uh, Mayhem and you know, Immortal and. Oh yeah, it's the hipster yeah. shirt now. And Burzum, so. I mean, you got to be a kind of a, probably piece of shit to wear a Burzum shirt, considering that yeah. the boy's a, a murderer and a fucking like Nazi. So yeah, I, but, I don't think I'd be rocking a Burzum shirt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get the your fucking scene points or whatever but um but no no i i, I just think it's it, it's really interesting not only that you made that transition but also the three other members from oppressor started mm-hmm. started soil like how did you guys find ryan it's a funny story uh we were looking around trying some local guys tried a couple nobodies tried a couple wannabes and it just nobody in town was really rocking we just we were like all right, we got like five or six songs written musically. We were jamming every day at Adam's Garage. Uh, and then we just finally, Tim King, the bassist of Soil, and he was also an oppressor, he he had a compilation CD of like unsigned bands. And he was at his house, and it was on a Wild Rags compilation CD. Anybody remember Wild Rags? Come on. That's some I OG. <laughs> That's some old school uh, label. Uh, Blood Come was on it, which is the Araya and Hanneman brothers band back in the day uh but anyway blood come okay yeah blood come uh so long story short tim king found this band on the compilation called dem deuce x machina and he's like dude you got to check out this band they're from indiana that's not far away i'm gonna write this guy a letter snail mail yo so ryan mccombs was the singer of this band and he checked it out and he uh, he wrote him a letter and said, "Hey man, we are ex-members of Broken Hope Oppressor and looking to form a serious rock band. 
we like your voice, yada, yada, yada. And Ryan got the letter, and Tim put his phone number in it. And Ryan called Tim and was like, hey, man, check out your band, you know. He came up and, and uh, basically said, hey, can you come up here for a weekend? He drove up, and it was like a – I think it was like a three-hour drive for him in the car. So he came up for a weekend. We just jammed like a real band in a room with amplifiers and drums and organic human beings vibing and just we started rocking out. He's like started writing lyrics, sitting on the floor with a pen and paper and wrote our first five song demo basically in in Adam's garage after, you know, a few months of jamming. And then that's he, that's how we, we found him and that's how he became the singer of Soil. Hey guys, I'm just cutting in on my conversation with Sean real quick to talk about another show sponsor. This sponsor is called prerockedpedals.com. Uh, it's my main man, Lamar from Lamar Williams from uh, South Carolina. And he has a badass website um, yeah, called prerockedpedals.com. If you're a gearhead, if you're a guitar nut and you, and you're really into like rare pedals, old pedals, effects, um, all kinds of different different stuff. Um, you got to check out this this website. I mean, he has everything. Uh, I got from him a Boss Digital Reverb that sounds incredible. A TC Electronics um, tuner pedal. The, the you know those I love. I love their 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 tuner pedals. And I actually got something I'm not even gonna tell you guys about because it's like my own little secret. But it's something that I couldn't find anywhere, and he had it. So. If you're a guitar nerd, if you're a, you know, a gearhead, you know, gear porn, all that stuff, go to his website. Uh, he also actually does conferences. So there's a bunch of conferences um, and guitar shows in the South. He'll be in uh, Orlando, Florida on February 2nd. Uh, he'll be at the Ground Zero at the SC Punk Flea Market on uh, February 16th in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Dude, I can I can keep going, but you got to check the website out, prerockedpedals.com. Buy some stuff, support the show. Thank you to those guys. And now with that out of the way, back to my conversation, with Mr. Sean Glass. Well, it's it's uh, interesting listening listening back to it because, I, you know, I think with, with rock music and especially rock that is very simplistic in nature and very straightforward in, in, in nature without this, without the right singer, it's just not going to work. Um, no, it's really important. I mean, you can make the most basic riff like a Nirvana riff. And if the singer doesn't write magic on it or doesn't have the voice, it doesn't, it, it, it won't, it won't translate. Well, well he had, you know, his voice is, you know, it has, I would say it's more important for a singer to have, a definable characteristic or stick out than tech be a technically great singer. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's more important that when that song comes on, I know who it is as opposed to just singing perfectly well, you know? Right. Right. I, I Personality totally over, over, yeah, tech, over technique, my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Identity is important. I mean, when you hear Allison Chains, you know that Slane Staley, for the most part. I shouldn't say that because William also, but uh, when you when same you hear, thing, you know it's William yeah. though. You hear him, right? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I do. I'm a fan. I love Allison Chains, but yeah, I mean, you know what you're listening to. Same with Black Sabbath, man. Like when when it comes on, you know that's Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. You know. But anyway, but, like, but I think Ryan staples. had that had that quality of uh, yeah. tone. And personality and 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 vibe and it and it very much um, you know listening to your first album 
uh, Throttle Junkies. Oh, it, th- that had a more I hate like, that record musically. Well, obviously, it, it doesn't have the the production of horrible of, of, of the later Un- horribly underproduced. But yeah, <laughs> um, no, but 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 I noticed just um, the the tone and the, the the vibe of the record was much more um, kind of like post grunge. Yeah, I, guess. I mean, it was, it was it was just it was pretty much. Hey, we want to escape being brutal. Yeah. We need to go as far north as we can, and that was kind of the you know the mindset of where we were at. You know, well, let me ask you a question. So, and that was nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, but but let me ask you this: that's this. So you're writing these technical, uh, complex death metal songs, and 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 death metal, especially around that time. I mean, you'd have songs that have fifteen riffs in them. You know, right, transitions right. and weird. You know, it, it was just it was weird proggy. Music, you know, unless you were in a, a six feet under or something like that, that was a lot more straightforward. Right. Um, was was did you find that to be that transition to be um, difficult or or like a was there a, like a steep learning curve of like how do you know is you know because I I think for like you know from my spell you know speaking from my perspective it you know I had to kind of. We would write Dumb these it crazy. Down. Well, no, no. We like we Godfrey would write these crazy songs with these crazy structures and a million riffs. And then when we kind of decided that we wanted to write um, in a little more traditional song structures, there was um, some difficulty of kind of like dumbing it down. Yeah, I, I mean, see, I think see, dumbing it down to me is not. I don't like that phrase because I think it takes a lot of <laughs> intelligence to work yeah. with, within a framework course, and have it be interesting and have it not. So when the part comes around, maybe a third time, it's not boring or it's not, you know, like, right. like all, all the interesting things were in, it's like the devil's in the details, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. if we're going to play this part, the second verse, let's do something slightly different. Let's, you know, right. we're going to the second chorus, make the transition a little, you know, I think there is a lot of little things and some of it is, is can be, um, very formulaic or very obvious, but I, I do think there, you know, there, I, I just think there, there was a transition phase, but did you experience that as well? Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and I'll give props to Adam, the other guitarist in soil slash oppressor, me and him, you know, we would work together in riffs and start, you know, structuring stuff and be like, Hey, you know, does this work? Or, you know, when we started working on, you know, becoming a rock band, we're like, all right, we don't need, you know, a million riffs. But we need to keep it groove and kind of, you know, rocking. And me and him would just bounce ideas and riffs off each other and just start writing. But we never, you know, I could say uh, we never felt that we were uh, doing something that was, um, what's the word? We never felt that we were doing something that didn't feel natural. Yeah. It, it was, it, it came. Like we would. You know, me and him were big reload load fans too. You know, as much as we liked listening to Morbid Angel Covenant, we'd also listen to Reload and Load and Blackout too. I'm back so, load. Yeah. So we would we would, you know, we would totally be, you know, writing rock riffs. So it was it was it was fun, but it never felt uh, like a challenge to 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 trim the fat, you know. Yeah. It was You were it ready natural. for it. Yeah, it, it really did. It felt really natural, you know. Uh, I, I think we were just evolving as musicians. Uh, obviously, I was coming into soil, quote unquote, as being a bass player, right? But Adam knew I played guitar so much that by the time we started jamming, he's like, 
dude, you're playing guitar. You're not playing bass in this band. And I was like, thank God I can finally play guitar in a band. And that was it. Like Soil was the first band that I was playing guitar in. So you, so you guys do, you do a couple EPs. You do that, that first album, which you don't like. <laughs> um, yeah. And, it's due to the productions. Yeah. And then, so, so how did you guys get, start getting label attention and eventually, you know, linking up with, with J records and, and Clive Davis and all that? What happened was after Throttle Junkies, the label that we were on, thank God, fell apart. It was called MIA Records. And oh, yeah. I remember label, MIA. Yep. New York. Candy had, was on it. Correct. And Darkest Hour. Yep. And the, and uh, right when the label was – A lot of those up, bands were happy that <laughs> – Yeah, apart. yeah. The label fell apart. And we were like, all right, we're free. So we, we did what a band does. We started writing and then – I was like, dude, let's get a little heavier. I want to ditch the shit kicker. Can we please get rid of the southern rock and roll, you know, hoochie coo? It's not me. I'm just not into this. I don't wear cowboy hats. You know, I listen to Machine Head. Like, let's let's get a little darker. And Adam was right. So we we tuned down a little lower. We were tuned to this, you know, like C. So we dropped the uh, top string down to A sharp, which is the tuning I've been in ever since for every project. <clears throat> and we started writing. And we just were in a different frame of mind. We're like, all right, let's start writing. So we started writing new music. Everything was popping. Ryan was really frustrated because he was so disappointed with MIA Records, Botch and Throttle Junkies. And I was like, dude, don't worry. Don't move back to Indiana. Or, you know, we're trying to beat, you know, a whole team. Ryan, don't quit. We got this. And he was he was frustrated, man. He's like, man, I moved up here. I got signed. And then this happens, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and then Chicago started bubbling. The, you know, the whole rock, whatever, if you want to call it, new metal explosion was bubbling. And we started right. Yep. So long story short, I went to a party for Disturbed. And they just finished the album. They got signed to Warner Brothers, to Giant Records at the time. And it was at Johnny K's studio. So uh, I think Dan or David invited me. I can't remember which one uh, invited me to the party at Johnny K's. Can I ask a question real quick? What, shoot. Was um, Disturbed's? Like, were they making an impression and bubbling up in Chicago yes. previous before that? So they were already kind of making a name for themselves. Probably about six months prior to them getting signed, it was on. But Chicago was a hotbed, dude. There was bands showcasing all the time because there was no one. No one. Then there was From Zero. There was Soil. There was Relative Ash. Uh, and then some of the the later bands like I loved 5.0, which oh, I oh yeah of course love 5.0. I helped play a role. I helped play a role in that with Roadrunner. Um, but long story short, Chicago was bubbling and Loudmouth, which is one of my favorite rock bands in Chicago ever. Um, long story short, so I went to this party. Dan and David invited me at Johnny K Studio. I brought some new demos because we were demoing like real demos, you know, like fucking eight track recordings of new stuff and i and i saw johnny k i was like hey man you know and he goes oh i know who you are you're in that band soil right blah 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 because he's you know soil was already building a fan base in chicago because throttle junkies was out so we were playing out you know and uh i was like yeah well you know our new stuff's a little different and we're free from our label check out these demos and he listened to them and then he emailed me or called me i can't remember if it was an email or call johnny k reached out and he's like hey man I'll give you guys a deal. Let's go do three songs. Let's focus on these three songs. And da da da. And this is the price. Gave us a price to record three songs. And we're like, guys, we're doing this. And everybody in the band was like, yes, let's get in with Johnny K. And Disturbed just got signed. And it was, you know, they just finished recording the debut album, The Sickness. And uh, 
we went in and did three songs and it was need to feel my own and the song called halo now the funny story about this is the first three songs that we recorded with johnny k the quote-unquote new soil demos we made samplers that was a thing in chicago everybody was hitting shows you would wait outside of gigs at metro or house of blues and when kids came out you hit them with cds man you just bam 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 hey we got a show and it was the whole networking of chicago like everybody was doing this like you you couldn't leave a gig without getting cds like you just get free swag nonstop. disturb used to go around and give out t-shirts they would walk around with bags of shirts and give them out it was crazy so the long story the funny story about all that is I really wanted the song Halo first on this on the demo sampler. And Ryan and Adam, and they were like, no, no, it's too heavy, it's too heavy. And I'm like, you guys, Halo is the song. And they're like, no, 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 it's Need to Feel. So the first thousand samplers that we gave out all had Need to Feel first. And I was like, you guys, everyone, within like a week of that thing hitting the street, everybody was, you know, like going, dude, Halo, Halo, Halo. And I was like, yeah, I was right. <laughs> I love I love I love that stuff because it's you know I don't, how I don't know the if, band well, just, works you know well it's it's more than that though in you know if when a band is a little further along because these are the discussions that happen between the band the manager the label the radio people of oh, yeah. all right what's gonna be the first single what's gonna be the second single um, and but see our first single was alive and well before we had the deal yeah we were unsigned again. And then all of a sudden, uh, Atlantic Records rep reached out to us and said, hey, guys, I really love the song. Can I get it tested in Florida? No strings attached. Steve-O was the A&R guy. And he's like, hey, man, I, Steve Robertson, he signed Shinedown and some other popular bands. He's like, I really want to test this song in Florida because this active rock station, WJRR in Orlando, is a great test market. Well, they put it on the air. And boom, like within two weeks, it was just insane the amount of spins we were getting in that, in that market. And then all of a sudden, every label called us. Every freaking major label was like, we're flying to New York. We're flying to here. We're flying to Chicago. We want to do a showcase, blah, 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 blah. And it was on. And meanwhile, Disturb was bubbling. The sickness was just coming out. The album was hitting the street, you know, and they were really starting to blow up. And then Chicago was just on fire, man. It was a hotbed. Major labels were spending money. Halo was popping off a demo. You know, it was it was it was crazy, man. I mean, so, it's 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 so cool to think back about it, and I guess I'm very fortunate to have lived through that kind of era. Yeah, that was probably the last the last big kind of explosion of a. Yeah, it was still when CDs sold, so there was just, there was just a lot more seed money there to to launch bands totally, tour support totally. bigger budgets for recording videos etc major uh, labels believed in rock yeah well it was i was obviously still still moving a lot of a lot of records at the time um and like i said you had that kind of post grunge slash new metal thing happening at radio totally. at the time you know ozfest was at its you know kind of still in its its peak form and and, and th things like that so you guys are so you're flying so what's happened when they fly you in is just for a meeting or are you doing like showcases we, we did showcases and everything like um electra records and j records which is bmg flew us to new york uh and then like we did a showcase at like 
I think it was like SIR in downtown New York. And like the first hour was this label's going to come in and watch you play three songs. Then after the three songs, they're jacking you off. Let's go out for dinner, blah, blah, blah. And then like the next day or I can't remember. I'm kind of smoked out by it. But the next day or the next few hours, all of a sudden the other label would walk in. You do the same song and dance. All right, let's play three or four songs. And then you close with Halo and they'd be like, all right, let's get dinner. <laughs> Lobster, it's on us, you know, and and our lawyers and managers were there. And who was who was, right. who was managing you guys at the time? It was Peter Chose, who's a good friend of mine to this day. Uh, he was a lawyer in Chicago and a friend of mine that was in an old school metal band back in the day. And he was a he was a really smart dude. I trusted him like a bro. And he had amazing lawyer skills, really well knowledge in music. It's always good and when your manager is also a lawyer. I mean, it's I mean, yeah, it, it can go bad. Him. It can go bad because they can kind of screw you around if, if if they're not trustworthy. Yeah, but yeah, if, yeah. But if they're in, <laughs> yeah. if they're thinking of your best interest, then it's because they they can look at contracts in a way uh, and kind of have a has a have a sense of, of of things that gives them advantage over other lawyers or uh, managers. Excuse me. Right. Very true. So it was them. And, uh, Peter Cholos was our manager lawyer at the time. And, you know, we had, uh, it was him in a room. And then, you know, like once we did the J records thing, he's like, Clive Davis wants you, like he wants you more than Electra. He wants you like, uh, you know, Atlantic was trying to make the offer because they, you know, kind of kickstarted the whole thing, Atlantic. And, uh, Clive wrote the biggest check, man. We so went, so was he? In, we went with the money, yo. So was was he in on the on the showcase? And you met him, did dinner? Yeah, and stuff? of course, really? totally. I don't know. I don't. I'm not, I don't yeah, presume anything. Yeah, he was he was there, man. It wasn't the Wizard of Oz, yo. He showed up. So let me ask you this. So at, at this time, like I said, your your previous experience had you in the death metal scene and touring and kind of you know very living in, living in a rider truck playing brutal death metal. Well, I'm just saying it, it's very nickel yeah. and dime. Right, that totally that, that world. I was living at home, yo. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you feel that you had enough business experience to kind of understand what was happening, or be able to, or have enough information to make the right decisions, like picking a label? Yeah, I mean, I think so for the most part. I mean, there's there was always plus and minuses in every label that was talking to us. We saw the good and bad, and, and you know, and as a band, you know, me, Tim, Adam, Ryan, and Tom we did sit down and really discuss these things. We really did try to look at it from the most obvious and mature aspect of a band and, and with our manager. And, you know, obviously he was, you know, doing the bean counting, but we were like, Hey, you know, what's this label doing with this band? What's this? And, you know, Electra probably may have been the better of the bunch. Their money wasn't as much. They didn't offer as a big as a deal that J records ended up signing soil for, but they had huge radio. I mean, they were popping. They were, you know, they had, obviously the Black Album was blowing up. I mean, they had some big bands, Motley Crue, Metallica. I mean, they had, you know, the Capellinis. They had their, they had their foot in the door at radio. And those were some of the some of the downfalls we felt and saw later on at J Records when our second single didn't do as well. And we were, you know, we were like, it's not the song. You know, and we saw some of the. Uh, some of the flaws at the label that we felt, you know, may have not happened per se at a different label. Well, Jay, but, Jay, but it's it was mostly pop though, right? Yeah. They had O-Town when they signed us. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's kind of, no, listen, I, and I think this happens a, a lot of times with bands that are in that position 
where, like I said, you see the big, you know, Clive Davis, that name. You see the, the money. It's magnitude. That the, Aerosmith. The, the, yeah. the money that they're offering and maybe other things like infrastructure, uh, you know, don't at the, at the time you don't really have a, a concept of that, you know, of like, Hey, this label has been, you know, like Atlantic, for example, you know, had a history, you know, Warner has a history with, with working with rock bands for a long yeah. period of time. Like Shinedown has been with Atlantic, what, for 15 years? Since, yeah. Since day one. Yeah. I mean, I, re- I remember, I think when soil got signed, I think the band that was really popping and breaking was a uh, POD. Yeah. And I was like, dude, they're blowing up. Like, man, you heard alive everywhere, you know? And I was like, I think that's, that's the name of the song, right? Alive. Yep. Uh, I was like, so yeah. But, uh, you know, and we were like, holy cow. But that song also became uh, a positive because the infamous 9-11, which was the day Soil's album came out. Really? We a lot came of records came out. Didn't like God Slayer, God Hates yeah. Us All, a bunch of uh, Machine Head? Or was there album I out? I don't know. I, I, I think... I think Supercharger came out after 9-11. Yeah. I don't think it was – I got to look at the release date. But I know a lot but, of uh, bands struggled we were, with that. We were actually in the air on one of, I think, a 1,000 planes flying from Orlando to Chicago to play our record release show at the Metro because we, we did a show in Orlando. They flew us to House of Blues to do a special album release show the night before. At, our label flew us there, and then we did – flew home – and landed on the tarmac, and everything just went bing. Did you guys end so, up doing your show? Everything got canceled. Yeah. I think I think the entire world. The only thing I remember was I was still living in my parents' house. I was at the Rancho and driving to Target to go buy my album. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. And they had an end cap and big picture of us. I was like, wow. How anticlimactic is this? <laughs> so, like, actually, but, 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 no, no joke. I mean, did you feel that that event um, negatively affected what was going on with your guys' record? Hugely, I think it affected the entire music industry. Well, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. It, it, if, if nine eleven happened, didn't happen, you know. Obviously, I'd, I'd love to think in a positive manner of what if, but you know. I ain't psychic, but you know, and we can't change history. Uh, but it's it's uh, it it played a role in a lot of things. It, it hurt. It hurt. I mean, it hurt millions of people's lives, obviously, but it hurt uh, music. You know, stations were pulling the song "Bodies" from Drowning Pool. They yeah. were pulling "Saliva," "Click Click Boom." Like everybody's like, "Whoa!" You know, all of a sudden, everyone got PC, yo. But it was, hey, you know, and some people I remember. I remember distinctly, like, some people were like, oh, Halo's too heavy. Like, I remember, I think somebody at our label at the time even told us, like, the intro scream was, like, too abrasive. Like, maybe we should take the scream out. We're like, you can't take that scream out. That's, like, Ryan spilling his guts, yo. That's real. Like, that's anger and frustration when he's – that scream before that first verse is real. Like, that's – you know, we're not pulling that, you know, like, or tucking it in the mix. Like, that's part of the song. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, despite all of that, I mean, the single did very well. The the album yeah. sold well. Totally, it's still. I mean, how many records think, did it sell? Scars. I think it's around three hundred thousand now. Three hundred thousand. Can't remember. So, but but I, so, but I think I think Halo, uh, Rob Rivera from Nonpoint actually texted me today. He's like, dude, I think 
I think he said Halo was at 39 million streams on Spotify. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So, hey, man, I'm glad I co-wrote that song. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. So, I mean, it's so you hear a number like that, 300,000, um, which obviously by today's standards, you know, is a lot. Oh, and even back yeah, then, yeah, I think yeah, it was yeah. a lot. But you have to look at a label like a jive. And for them, oh, yeah. was that considered to be below their uh, their expectations? I'm sure from the amount of money they gave us. Yeah, of course. I mean, I hey, we and that's the thing. If 9-11 didn't happen, I think Halo would have moved up way further up the charts at Active Rock. And I think we would have had at least a gold record. Because I remember we when we did we went to Europe with Edema, which were actually great, great guys, great tour. It was Edema, Soil, and Skindert, our first full European tour. And Edema were like, yo, why is your album not gold by now? Like we're like, I don't know, thanks to 9-11, I think, you know? Yeah. And uh you know, they had a platinum record, you know, and they were on, man, I can't remember what a demo was on. It may have been Atlantic. I don't know. But uh, they, you know, they had a platinum record, but they also had the whole story of Jonathan Davis from Korn's Cousins, the singer, you know. I thought it was his so, brother. It was his cousin? No, cousin. <laughs> Marky. Yeah, ain't his brother. Marky's his cousin. But, you know, they had a huge, huge push. I don't even know? remember what their hit was. Giving in, right? Giving I in. I don't know. I lo- oh, that first record. I just, I, I just remember there was like controversy Hooks. when they were. <laughs> Actually, no, here's here's the story. Here's your Adima story. <laughs> oh, you probably know this one where they they got into it. They were getting into a fight with some of dudes from Down on Ozfest. I and, was there, and, and <laughs> I was someone, on that Ozfest, and someone yeah. goes uh goes up to Phil is <laughs> like, "Hey, man." <laughs> Uh, your guys are fighting with edema. He goes, "What the fuck is edema?" <laughs> like he thought it was uh, and then dema. <laughs> uh, dema. Yeah. He, and at that time, Philip was definitely pretty out there because I saw him and he looked like uh, he was pretty pale on that tour. I yeah. remember. Yeah, it was. Uh, you he, know, they. He, I, I remember the Ozfest with Down because Down didn't hang out with anyone. They stuck in their own world. You know, Kirk would talk to me here and there, and he was cool. He knew me from Broken Hope, you know. But, like, they stayed in their own little trip. I think they liked Hatebreed, and that was about it. <laughs> well, well, that was Hatebreed and Meshuggah. That, yeah, it was Hatebreed, Meshuggah, El Nino, and I forgot who else. But it was cool. System of a Down. I, I still remember the guys in System of a Down were, like, in catering one day. Like, you're in soil, right? And I'm like, oh, man, what happened? Like, something's up. They're like, did you know our original name was Soil? I'm like, get out they started showing me pictures of their demos i'm like oh my god they're like we freaked when we saw your guys name when you came out we're like soil that was our name first <laughs> yeah it's, so it's, it's pretty it's amazing that wasn't uh they, they cleared that uh that trademark yeah i ganked the name from entombed yo i was listening to the album wolverine blues driving to practice and we didn't have a name and the song rotten soil came on yo and i pulled up to practice and said, i got the name and everyone's like what and i'm like soil Everyone's like, oh, tasty. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Soil. Because we had a bunch of shitty names before we named the band. Right on. Well, so so you guys, you, you do Ozfest. You do all this touring. Obviously sold a lot of records. You you had some um, success at, yeah. at, at, at radio. I was on tour nonstop. And then you do, three, a, four years. You, you do a follow-up <laughs> album uh-huh. um, entitled Redefine. 
Correct. And right after the album comes out, or maybe before it comes out, Ryan quits the band? Nah, mid-tour. We were on tour with Shinedown. Okay. And then in the, in the middle of the tour, Ryan said he was having financial problems and blew all his money and wasn't happy touring. And then the label was dropping us, and then Ryan was quit. Did he, he knew that the label was dropping and you didn't know? or? Uh, I think it was a combo platter. We kind of knew what was going on because all of a sudden Silver Tide, a new band they signed, they bought onto a Van Hagar reunion tour. And we were like, yo, what's up with us? You know, like, where, you know, where's our meal? <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, there's the hot new chick in class. And Soil was not that hot new chick anymore, you know? But, you know, here we are, our single, which was actually charted higher than Halo, Redefine, was number eight at Active Rock. We're on tour with Shinedown, and, you know, our manager's like, hey, guys, it's going down. The label's not picking up the option and, and for the next album ready. And they're, like, basically done. And we're like, Tch. And I, there's a lot of interesting factors, I think, that played a role in that situation, to be honest. You know, without going into finger pointing, but at the same time, it was it, it sucked. You know, and then Ryan was ready to bounce. He was done with the music business. He hated the industry after, you know, another label stabbing him in the back or whatever it was. You know, I can't speak for him, but it was you know frustrating. Well, and I mean, the four, and the four of us were like, dude, we just toured the world. Like, we're not giving up. Why? Why are we going to give up? Because one label, yeah. like obviously. You know, the magnitude of the major label that signed us and the amount of money they put behind the product was huge. But it's built. The plateau is there. Like, the fan base is there. It's not done yet. Why give up? You know? And we didn't want to give it up. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to just the expectations game, right? So if, so if you have a band that's doing pretty good, but you expect it to be, you know, platinum or you expect it to, to buy a mansion – or something like that, it, uh, you know, it can go a lot of ways, you know, it's, which is kind of, you know, like my perspective with Bad Wolves, you know, despite having all success, I was always, I never at any point was like, oh, I expect this to happen or blank to happen. I'm kind of always like, yeah, I expected to, <laughs> I was expected yeah. to not, not work out when kind of like, so my, my whole point, viewpoint is just keep the head down, keep working uh, perseverance man yeah, well just just don't get too focused on the hype you know um totally. let, let anyone because i know there's an expectation that when you're selling so many records or maybe you have a song on the radio that you're your people think you're making this money or they think you're oh, of course at this level of um you know maybe lifestyle success or, yeah. yeah success and and and, and the truth yo, is yo doc you got a tesla killer bro i hope so one day <laughs> one day i'll get yeah. one yeah me and my kid watched the video of that new tesla truck or whatever oh. is hilarious oh I, I can't i want one i want one and think i don't know that thing looks kind of janky <laughs> hey if, listen if, if you're into it i'm into it but anyway mr mr <laughs> mr tesla man um well no but um i think another factor is is you gotta so that album came out oh, 2004 yeah and, and i think there was like a dividing line you know of where kind of new metal kind of became uh persona non, non grata with with the kind of uh what was cool and what was you know, uh, coming in, and I and I wonder if at that time, if if maybe soil, you know, was 
maybe pigeonholed a little more in that genre than as a just a regular rock band. I, I, yeah, I mean, to this day, even if you're like, oh, you're in a new metal band, I'm like, man, like, yo, like, we didn't have a DJ, we didn't have a sampler, Ryan didn't rap, we were a guitar-driven band, we didn't run tracks live, like, we were a rock metal band, like, especially when Scars came out, like, it was real, like, I, you know, it, none of us, you know, wore, no offense, Jankos or any of that stuff, you know, we didn't dress like that, and, you know, we wore black. You know, our singer had long hair, which sometimes was, you know, a savior. And sometimes the label would be like, oh, you guys look too metal, you know. <laughs> so yeah. it was it was funny. But, you know, yeah, I think the new metal thing, the tag, we never felt it. We, we, we went with the times after Throttle Junkies and reinvented our sound when we did the three-song demo with Johnny K that got us, you know, a, a new career. But we didn't all of a sudden become a new metal band. I never thought that. I mean – I thought we were just getting heavier and darker and we tuned lower and Adam and I just started writing more modern riffs, you know, like we're just going with the times, you know, but, you know, after Redefined came out, you know, I was definitely getting more and more into heavier stuff again. All of a sudden I was coming back into my DNA. Like I was totally into In Flames, you know, I was like, yo, like that's, I was listening to like, you know, Jester's Race and all that stuff early, but I was also getting more back in like, you know, reroute and stuff like that. So it was, you know, coming back into me. So when we, when Ryan left and we did true self, which was with a new singer, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, it's funny because I was listening to it and I was like, uh, the singer AJ, it's like, he actually sounds pretty similar to Ryan. Like it's kind of crazy. Actually, some people didn't, some people didn't think so, but I, I, I thought there was similar tonality, right? Yeah, it's not, it's not a, um, a far, no, no, it's, it's actually pretty amazing that you, that you found someone that was able to kind of keep the, yeah. the sound, um, more or less consistent. Um, but, um, after that record came out, you, you didn't stick around in the band too much long, or did the band, what, 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 what happened after the release of True Self? We did a, we did tons of touring. Like we pushed that record great. We did some of our biggest tours. We did full U.S. tour uh, with uh, Stained. We went to Europe with Stained. Aaron treated us amazing. We did a couple, you know, smaller tours. We did one with Seamless in the states and Puya. Puya. No, not Puya. No, not Puya. Ankla. Ankla. Oh, Ankla. Yeah. It was a, that tour was kind of janky. We did uh, <laughs> Soil, Soil, Seamless, and Ankla, and it really did not bring many heads and I, we you know we were kept going like oh we don't have a single because drt records didn't have the money to go to radio and we were like yo you got to push one of these songs to active rock it's kind of what built our band on these two records before us that you signed us off of and they were you know oh we need to build it grassroots we're like grassroots you know there's no such thing as grassroots now this band's already established you got to go to radio otherwise we're not going to be able to play in wichita kansas to more than 50 people if you don't bump the singles. So it was frustration with that stuff. But uh, what happened with me was I was, like I said earlier, I was getting back into more heavy music and I was frustrated with some of the business stuff going on. And there was a lot of, you know, other things I wasn't happy with, you know, certain members definitely I felt uh, drank a little too much and I was frustrated with some of the work ethic in the band and, I don't know if it was just because the other members were kind of jaded or just sick of me because I was trying to be a little more, you know, like, hey, guys, we need to do this and let's not have six beers before you go on stage, yo. 
and stuff like that or let's do sound check and not worry about everything else and let's work on new music or let's rehearse right when we get home after tour and start writing you know i was kind of like that and i think they hated that i was kind of i guess still driven right you know i mean do you think at that point though the the band had reached its peak and that no i didn't think so you didn't think so so. no and then i was just getting frustrated with you know kept getting roadblocked in certain uh business ideas and certain people in the band i felt were just not you know being bros anymore so i was like well once i I was like not happy and i wanted to play more metal right because it's in my dna right so i started forming uh, a new side project and as soon as my side project formed and put out our demo on MySpace, certain members in Soil were really unhappy. And yeah. I, I, you could tell. And it just caused a huge rift, man. I mean, sometimes side projects you know, work and sometimes uh, members in other bands just ain't into it. Well, so I, I, formed, mean, it, I formed Dirge. Yeah. A three-song demo. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of that is it's almost like a, um, like a Freudian slip. You know where, you, you know you're 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 working on some music. You have some output, and it's like that's a reflection of how you feel. You know, yeah, um, totally. And uh, you can't lie to your heart. Yeah, and and so so I, I can imagine how someone would would take that the wrong way. Like like me, I you know I I it's funny because we we often compare bands to relationships. You know, um, mm-hmm. and so obviously some. People feel like if you're doing a side project, you're like cheating on the band or something, you know, and me, you know, me, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more, um, you know, when it comes to music, I, I, I believe in polyamory and you should, you should be able to, you know, that we all have different feels and different, uh, creative things we want to do. And, and as long, you know, I know some bands like, you know, that, that was like a big thing with Metallica, right? Where, why Jason left is they felt that they were trying to control what he could do yeah. outside of the band. And then you look at, at it now and it's like they have Robert in the band and he, you know, he does all kinds of little pride. Like I, I played with Rob trio and some different stuff. And yeah, yeah. I saw you and Kirk jam. It's awesome. Yeah, and, and, but maybe that was a thing back in the day. They, they wouldn't have been cool with, you know, and it took, nah, I think, a, I think, I think they've chillaxed a little more, but you know, in Jason's defense, he was just trying to do different music that would have never, ever touched the level and magnitude of Metallica. Of course. I mean, no, it Echo is Brain, his defense. Echo Brain was so different. I didn't like it at all. Yeah. Jason's my boy, but I, it wasn't my thing, you know, but you know, when you're in a band as large as, I mean, I mean, you can't get any bigger than Metallica. They're bigger than any metal rock band, but you know, you, anything he was doing is not going to interfere. And I think that side projects, you know, back to the whole thing is, yeah, it, some people may feel threatened or cheated on like ex-girlfriend. And I think that played a huge role in a rift between me and soil. And I think that when I formed dirge, like I remember early on when we started getting the buzz off our three song demo and started building a little fan base and playing some shows during the downtime of soil, we started playing gigs. Like we were playing like every local hole in the wall with, you know, five or six bands, you know, and just, I was back to roots having fun, technically still a member of soil. But you know, like I remember, like a couple fans were wearing dirt shirts. Like, yeah, some guy from soil went by me and walked by me at a gig and like, Oh, that shirt's gay or something. Like said some really negative remark. And like, I remember like getting messages from fans, like 
man, and I was out, you know, I called him out. I was like, hey, man, this ain't cool, yo. You're walking up to people wearing my band shirt talking crap, you know, and it, it was, it just, everything just really be, became, uh, it caused the whole separation. And, you know, was I right for forming a, a project? Should I have stayed focused and true to what, you know, what I started with those guys? I don't know, you know, but I was unhappy with business stuff and work ethic. And I really wanted to play metal. Like I was like, I got to get these songs out. Like I was dying to put forever. The martyr, the first song I wrote for dirge, I was like, Oh man, I got to get this out. You know, I was feeling it. I was like, I, I had to put it out. There it was artistic freedom. Right. You know? Yeah. No, I, I, I understand that, that impulse. Um, and, uh, it's interesting because dirge, which ultimately became dirge within, right. Um, it's kind of somewhere in the middle between, you know, the death metal world and then the kind of more straightforward rock world, you know, you kind of split, split that. And I, and I guess it was apropos of, of the times because it, it definitely seemed to kind of fit in with the kind of new wave American heavy metal, kind of scene yeah. and 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 that sound um i mean what was did you know as far as the demos with that were you getting attention from labels or was just starting fresh was that really daunting yeah it was it but it was fun man it, i felt like and especially when the band formed and i picked the members like we were all friends we were all hanging out we'd go out to eat we'd you know gay hey, man you know it was like really good camaraderie and i was like i miss that like that that fell apart and so because you know this guy's wife didn't like me or this guy's circle of friends i didn't like them and it was just you know got real catty in high school it was like 90210 yo <laughs> but <laughs> but do you, do you, you think know, something about the, the just the higher stakes of like radio and major label and bigger money did that you think that changes people's uh kind of motivations where maybe they're there for not the joy of it, and they're there just for a paycheck or or things like that. Definitely, yeah, it, it could play a role in it, and in, in that, and some people may have taken that route where I was like, you know, we gotta st- still work. We gotta, you know, you're only as good as your last song, you know. Yeah, and that was that was kind of my frame of mind. I was like, guys, we need to write. We need to, you know, we got off tour with True Self and did some amazing tours, and I was like, all right, let's start writing in rehearsal, and then I was like hell bent on getting in the room and jamming like always and it was like pulling teeth but it was because i formed dirge and once you know they'd have little comments or oh there's sean's metalcore riff like i'd write a riff and they'd be like it you know they shoot it down and didn't fit soil but it is what it is right you know but it was also because i was frustrated musically and professionally i wasn't happy anymore with that camp you know, it, it it played a role, but the major label thing had faded. We were already with a new singer with AJ doing True Self, getting ready to write another album, and then I bounced, and we just you know we butted heads. They hated they. I think they really didn't like that I formed Dirge, and I really didn't like certain things about certain members in the band at the time. You know, we just it, it was it was a relationship that was starting to go south. Yeah. But I needed to I needed to play heavy music. And I was like, I ain't done, you know. And then all of a sudden, I formed Dirge, started building a fan base in Chicago. And then all of a sudden, Etzel Dope came along. He's like, yo, dude, I love your new band. 
I want to work with you on a couple demos. So we did that song confession. Good song. He produced, he, thank you. He produced the singer. The song was done. I was like, Hey, everything's cool. I just need you to work with my singer. Song was tracked. I'm like, here, here's the, here's the stems go in the studio with my singer and work. Them. And he really pushed germs and really, really worked a great job on him. And then he's like, E1's really interested. They're going to fly out to see a show. And we played the Metro. I think we headlined. I can't remember exactly. Probably around 2009, probably 2009. Mm-hmm. And, we, and then they flew out and bam, they signed us. We signed and put out the first album, Force Fed Lies, which is one of my favorite albums of my whole discography, you know? Yeah, it, it's. It, I think it really holds up really well. And I was always... You know, I was always a fan. You know, we, we we had the fortune to do some shows together. Yeah. With with yep. with God forbid, you guys always sounded really good live. Like I was always impressed. Um It was in line six, yo. I thought <laughs> you were using stone. you weren't using the, the EVHs? Not on the first for the first when album and tour, we were all line six flex dude, stones. I could have swore I saw game. when I saw you guys with Chimera and uh Trip was it Chimera and Trivium? Yeah, we were still line six that tour. All right, I'll sure. take your word for it. But we flipped over to EVH after the Force Fed Lies album. Okay. Which I've been with EVH since. I Listen, I, I ride or die for the old line sixes. That, that People don't know that's the secret to the guitar tone for... Determination. Well, no. we did, we. I think one of... Like, Determination, there's a lot of different amps. There's some weird shit happened there. but um, Hodgepodge. <laughs> yeah, because on our first two records, we would... We would have two separate rigs for left and right, so that they have ah. a slightly different tone. Uh, and then, but uh, on the reamps of Constitution of Treason, it was a flex tone. Man, I should, should have. I think I sold was that. It? I'm like, man, I shouldn't have sold that. Like, in the amp. Was, it, was, it, was that Zeus? Uh, no, not Constitution. That was. Um, gotcha. Uh, Sukoff recorded the guitars, but then Eric Rachel mixed it. So it was really Eric Rachel. Uh. Was the uh, you know the one that came that came up came up with that because it was there was like the initial tone which was just fifty one fifty twos. By the way, I love the people who are listening to this who aren't guitar players. Like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? It's like talking about Star Wars. Then, yo, R two D two wasn't that cool. Yo, C three P O was my best. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, anyway. Any yes. Yes. Any, anyway, but anyway, I, I was I was a fan of of the band. You know, Thank I I would say yeah, we did we did some shows with you for sure. Yeah. But I, I would I would say it, you know, I think one of the difficult things about Dirge Within was kind of just the timing of when the band came out. Because it was it was weird, right? Yeah. Well no, it was just that scene, you know, like if you look at our group of bands, the kill switches and the shadows falls and chimeras and all that, um, we were all coming out oh one, oh two, oh three, and then around like oh six, that's when uh, you know, Trivium was really taken off and all that remains and Azalea Dying was really right. taking off. And that was of that grouping of bands, that was kind of almost like the last wave of, right. of those right. bands that really were able to to break through. And then there was another shift in the scene where it went basically Deathcore was taking off and Ugh. then things went more things got splintered where a lot of those, you know, bands like us were kind of, we were all kind of falling off a little bit and some other bands are kind of falling off. And I think it's, it's so difficult, you know, it's interesting because that, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually kind of cut in here and, and make a little tangent around that time. That's all. <laughs> that's also when five finger came out. 
you know, and kind of opened up this other lane of like a metal band who gets played on the radio. Um, And the bleeding, right? Wasn't it the bleeding? Yeah. Well, there, yeah, that was the first one. And then uh, never enough was the second single. Never enough was on the reissue of the debut, right? But but anyway, so it was just that you guys kind of came out at this time when there was like a crossroads where things were kind of moving in these, in these different directions, which I think made it difficult where the point I was I was making was it most bands need to come along with like a group of bands as a scene. And yeah. Five Finger is like the exception where they were like the only band in that they did their own thing. It kind of just happened on its own. Um but but for most bands it's tough to kind of break out without a movement. A pack. A pack. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. it's very valid because in Chicago when Dirge Within was popping, there really wasn't any group of bands that we really were like in a in a posse with yeah there wasn't there wasn't that dirge within and blah 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 you know there's a couple of smaller bands i liked that we did gigs with like trials was rad but there wasn't really like a scene like you had you know god forbid shadows fall uh kill switch and all that stuff in your guy's backyard but when dirge within was really starting to bounce and got signed and touring there wasn't yeah there wasn't like a hotbed of five or six Chicago bands that we were in bed with. No, it, 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 it definitely wasn't like when you compare it to what soil was around when we did shows with no one and from zero and, uh, you know, stuff in disturb, which we never played with. Um, we, it was completely night and day. You know, you look at that era in the, in, in all the bands bubbling. And then look at when I got signed with dirge within it, definitely, it was not, uh, a, a pack, you know. Yeah. So, so kind of to to throw a comparison, you had this one time in your life when you're making this transition from the gritty underground death metal scene um, to the major label radio kind of bigger world, and now there's this transition from the major label radio world to kind of almost I don't even know what you would call it. I guess the just the the heavy metal scene at large. Mm-hmm. Um, and also starting, having to kind of start back from the bottom and be the opening band on tours and, yep. you know, hey, you get in the van, load your own gear, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how is that transition? Cause at this point you're, you know, probably in your mid late thirties or, you know, I don't, I don't know how yeah. old you were at this time. How, what was that like? It was, it was, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say it was like reality trip because it was like it's what i did i was used to it so i was like hey you know i was never too cool to lift my amp i was never too cool to to my own fiddle like you know so we had them it, clive davis checks though <laughs> yeah we had a quick yeah we had crew you know unload and dump the trailer and i'd be in the bus hanging out partying and being an idiot whatever but you know uh, yeah it grounded me in you know going out in a van for you know three to four months at a time and, you know, uh, <laughs> smelling each other's farts and each other's socks, you know, in a van for months, it changes you. But I was so happy, I guess, musically and that I was so happy and proud that Dirge Within had a fan base bubbling and we had a, you know, a pretty cool label at the time and a decent deal that I was just happy. I felt like, I felt like we were on the rise over my past band, I was like, man, like 
they're spinning their wheels and I'm bubbling and Dirge Within is building something cool and new. So I was like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm cool with, you know, grinding away. I, I, I don't need a bus. I don't need a full crew, you know, and I don't need this and that and all the perks of when soil did have all the bells and whistles, but I was so happy musically as an artist that I don't, I, I don't think I was really focused on the other shit. Yeah. I was just so happy and to be doing what I wanted to do. And I thought at the time I had a great band, you know, which all fell apart because other people were, you know, influencing them and telling them, Oh, you need to be doing this and blah, blah, blah. And you need to tell Sean that it's your band too. And I'm like, yeah, right. Never again. Am I listening to people that never have been in bands before or have any clue of how to write a song, you know? But it, it was that kind of situation where it was your, you were leading it like it's my 100%. band. Yeah, it was definitely. Did other members have like ownership in the band or it was, it was set no. up? It was No, it was, yeah, it was my band. So, I formed Dirge, I named the band, I wrote all the music and I, I, you know, it was my vision. It was me forming the band. I mean, except for the vocals, I didn't, you know, have anything to do with writing Germs lyrics. And obviously Etzel helped produce him on the first album, but yeah, it was my band. And, you know, I, I was honest with everybody. I was like, hey, you know, like, I was really honest, like, hey, man, like, I'll let you write, but if I don't like something, I'll let you know. Don't take offense, but if you write something and it's badass, let's use it, you know, but it didn't really happen. The other guitar player could play leads, but I don't think he could write back in black. Well, most, so. most of us can't write back in black. I don't know if that's the standard <laughs> that we should you know be always I mean? judged by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'd rather hear Highway to Hell than Ingve Acapella Minor D Copia, whatever, you know. So it was he was a great guitarist, the guy I had when I uh, the bass player brought him in. And I was like, cool, man, this is what I want you to do. I want you to play leads over these riffs and shred your ass off, you know. And, and he was cool. He was great with it. And all of a sudden, people started getting involved and telling him and all the other people, yo, dude, you're the star. You're the guy. And then they, you know, they all started getting jealous. Oh, man, you know, Sean's telling me what to wear, what to do on stage and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hey, man, this ain't my first rodeo. Please trust me. I kind of know what the hell I'm doing by now, you know. And it just caused tension, you know. Well, I mean, I, listen, I can, I can uh, you know, I've been many roles. In a band, I've been. Yeah, you managed GF near the end. I remember. Well, yeah, you know, at certain at certain points, but I, I've just I've been many roles. I've been the support guy. I've been the main guy, um, you know, and and kind of being able to work with people in different scenarios, um, you know, requires different vibes and different skills yeah. and different, you know, um, got to wear different hats. But at the same yeah. time, I was just I was at the frame of mind like, hey, man. I toured arenas with Soil. I toured the world with Soil. I got signed to a major ra- record label off my song that we wrote. Like, I kind of have a clue what the hell I'm doing. I'm not 19. No, I hear Listen you. Listen to me. Well, and, I was just, and I was just at that frame of mind, and I started Dirge from the roots up, got a record deal again, got up and running, you know, had great, great management at the time, had really good friends ready to take us on tour. And I was just like, hey, this is how it's going to go. And if you ain't into it, there's the door. And I, and that's how, that was my frame of mind. Then I really was just like, yo, if you ain't on my team, 
you gotta go. Well, I'm I'm just gonna play a little devil's advocate here. All right, just just, me, just speaking me. speaking from the perspective from the uh, maybe a, a player who feels like they lack power or they lack agency uh, within their uh, particular position in a, in a band is mm-hmm. that if psychologically, right? If I'm that guy or gal in a in a in a band. If I don't have the decision-making power or I don't have ownership, that means you, there needs to be something else filling that hole. So it's like if if I'm going to be the hired gun, then pay me well. And if I'm yeah. paid well, then I'm like, okay, well, I know what I'm getting out of this situation. And everybody that, everybody in Dirge Within was paid equal as me on tour. Everybody. We all split all the show money and merch money. But equal. that's the problem, though. If there's if the band isn't that big and yeah. we're splitting we're splitting $18 – then yeah. why then then I need something right, else. Right. I'm explaining to you why someone would be unhappy with that setup. Right. It's like right because here's the thing: if your band was was if you're the owner, right, right, and you're running the shots and the band was making bank, would it still would have been equal? Maybe, maybe not. Right. Right. So of that's course, but that's the problem. The it's, time, it's it's socialism it's, when we broke, and then it's capitalism when we're rich. You see what I'm saying? And totally, that's totally. so so those situations. You know, but I don't, if you weren't if you weren't in the band and you were still stuck teaching guitar to four kids in your neighborhood, nobody even knew who you were. How much further along would you be in your career? Well, I mean, can't eat, yeah. can't eat exposure, can't put exposure in yeah. your fucking gas tank. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. I'm just saying. True. I'm just trying to give some 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 context to you know why. I'm, or I'm, how. Not, I'm not saying who's wrong or anything or how these things, but it's just that I've spoken to so many people, especially on this show about band dynamics and why particular bands have longevity why people don't like you we know bands where it's been the same four or five people for 15 years 20 years and we and we also know bands where there's one guy that's the only person that's been there and it's been a rotating cast right and listen and and it's listen this this one thing i've seen with, with you know the success of bad wolves is like this other side of the industry of like well, you're you know, dealing with the masses, and the it's more of a quote unquote pop. Well, well, there's it's just it's more, you know, there is more business to be had, and there is more of a pie for people to fight right. over. Of course, and it you got it, a lot of cooks in the kitchen with you. Guys. Yeah, and and so you you know it you have to kind of almost you know it's a it's a little more of a viper's nest, and you have to be a little more aware of that and understand totally. that it's not. Unfortunately, listen, this is kind of, you know, from my, like my instincts are like one, all for one, one for all. We're doing it for brotherhood. We're doing it for metal. We're doing it for what the scene, you know, whatever. Um, And unfortunately, like once you get to a certain level, it's, you know, uh, people, you know, it is really about the business for a lot of people. And And it's not that you have to play ball with that. It's just important to know that so that you don't get taken advantage of and that you don't and you understand that other people are coming to it with a different mentality. Not everyone is there for the art or for the for that. And so you so it's just about educating yourself and, and being mature. Yeah, about that. you're but, you're you know, and, and obviously I don't know your manager or your lawyers, but they're not sitting there going, we need to keep a true guys, kill them all style. This is you know, we got to stay metal. Like they're not thinking like that. They're thinking way different perspectives on 
how to make sure Bad Wolf stays afloat, how to make sure singles pop, how to make sure the imagery, how to make sure it translates, how to make sure it keeps moving and going. And that's, you know, that's when it becomes more of a mainstream popular band. And that's just reality. Well, listen, sometimes doing the thing you just said, right, saying, hey, it's got to be like kill them all. Sometimes that is actually the right business move. You know what I'm saying? So, right. so to me, it's not about a. It needs to be this more accessible, more mainstream. It's about what's the best decision, right? So Metallica going back more thrash metal on the last two albums has helped their career. It wasn't oh, for them. It wasn't the right move to go. Hey, let's go more radio. Hey, let's go more load. Right, you know right. that wasn't the right. So to me, if you just think like that, like. uh more mainstream equals more money and more success and less mainstream that that's not the math the math is what works for your brand what what it, yeah, are your, your fans going to connect yeah. to them with the most and sometimes that's not doing uh the pop song you know of course and you know, you know what sometimes going lighter will completely kill your career yeah. i mean there's certain bands that just need to stay i mean look at a band like obituary They've keep the formula. They make a great meal. They have their fan base. They stuck to it. Obviously, they went on some hiatuses for a while, but they've come back stronger. They're, I think they're more popular than they've ever been. And kids that are 19 and 20 are still worshiping and cause of death and 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 moving in with moving you know into the band's career where they're you know an older band. But for death metal. Obituary is probably one of the biggest bands now, you know? Yeah, so I'm going to give you a quote that uh, Neil from uh, Three Days Grace said. And I, it was so good, I actually had, had to, to write it down. And I think this is more for established Neil's bands. Neil's the drummer, right? The drummer? Neil's the drummer, but he's also like one yeah. of the songwriters. Uh, they all write. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah real, really talented dude. I but, toured uh, with him. I toured with him. But uh, here's, here's what he said, and, I, and it was, I thought it was really important. something to remember. He goes, as a band... Your brand is a promise to the customer as to what you're going to sound like. And totally thought, true. And I thought that totally was really true. brilliant um, because in, in many he ways, it. it's, yeah, he gets it. Because it, well, well, like I said, that's for a band that's already established, right? If you're a brand new, people don't know what you sound like yet. So right, <clears throat> you got room to you got wiggle room. Yeah, yeah. but once yeah. you're you've put out three or four records and you have a fan base, and obviously you want that to grow, of course. Um, but right. Understanding that 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 uh, you know it, it's like a it, it is very much a um, it is in the psychology right. So when we see a Motorhead shirt, right, a logo, you get a feeling, right, and that feeling is kind of like the information about what you think that means. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so that's totally. and that's what branding really is, and it's it's part of it is a little. Um, icky right to kind of like refer to your band as a brand because you know we don't want to feel like we're selling coca-cola like we're selling big macs um you know because but it's, it, but it, but once the brand is established and the band and the brand are one you damn right you got to keep selling that meal and making the fan base happy i mean look at acdc man they they never really strayed away from really what they are i mean they got a little more commercial obviously when brian johnson joined but they still made the same meal their whole career. Which is funny because his voice came is, back is way harsher. It's the like more gritty, sure. you know? It's actually more. Well, when he joined, for sure. For sure. Yeah, he had way more grit when they joined. And, you know, those songs are. <laughs> we don't even have to go into that conversation. Those songs 
have formed and shaped and changed rock and roll for many years now, you know, and, and that's people want though. They want that meal, you know, and, and that's kind of what, you know, ACDC and obituary and a different, obviously smaller level. And, but the, you know, fans know when they're going to buy that type of band that they're getting the right meal and getting what they built into and, and loved about the band. And then, you know, a perfect example is like a death metal band like Pestilence. I love like their first three albums, you know. Then all of a sudden, whoa, you know, they wait, they made that album Spheres, and I was like, yo, this is like hot tub music. I mean, you lost me. Like this is crazy. <laughs> like I, I can't even vibe on this. Like they wanted to all of a sudden chase this, chase after the whole cynic sound, and I was like, this is not cool. Like I didn't like Spheres, and I was like, man, I love this band's first like three albums, and then you lost me, you know. It's, and the, it, it's, it's funny, just, though, how many European bands have been able to pull it off, like Paradise Lost and uh, Amorphous. But they came back around. They came back around, Paradise Lost. Their last, like, three albums were, like, back to, like, almost like the early Paradise Lost. Yeah, but they were able to, but I'm saying for some reason, I think, you know, Opeth, too, they were, you know, obviously yeah. really heavy. And, um, and Opeth has lost, Opeth definitely lost me the last four albums. I, I, I left the building. Still really, here's the thing. It's different, but it's still amazing. I'm sure that they lost me. I, I, I'm not. I don't really want to listen to Genesis when I put an Opeth record on. I'm just it's very talented guys, great musicians, but give me uh, you know Blackwater Park, give me Ghost Reveries, you know uh, the the two albums that were back and back. I forgot what they were called. Uh, yeah, Damnation and uh, and Deliverance. Yeah, love both those records. They were they were great, but then they you know. Right after around Watershed, I think. Then they got kind of weird for me and just went way too lo-fi. You know, got 270 sounding. And I was like, man, I'm not really in the mood to listen to Van de Graaff Generator, yo. This ain't where, I'm, where my head's at. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but, I, I feel you. I'm still a fan. Own, you know? Still a fan. Own, yeah. All right. So let's, let's, you know, we're not here to talk about Opeth, right? Not Ghost, not Opeth, motherfucker, not ACDC. We're here to talk about Sean Glass. Crocus. Crocus. No Crocus, man. All right. The reunion farewell tour is coming up. Coming so. back, I can't wait. Got my tickets uh, already uh, already bought. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dirge Within puts out another record, and then your singer quits or he gets kicked yeah. out. He quits. He, and- yeah, he qu- well, we put out There Will Be Blood, uh, which is another album that I'm really proud of. I really, really like that record. Uh, like for my enemies, the opening track is one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And uh, we put out that album. Label was not really doing a job. We got offered a tour, which I think you guys were going to be on or did. Uh, it was Overkill, God Forbid, and I forgot who else was on the tour. And, well, we got offered the tour, Dirge Within, and our singer's like, no, I'm not doing the tour unless I get X amount of dollars per show. And I was like, dude, this is what they're offering us. We're going out. We got to do this tour. The album's out. We got to hit the road. And everybody in the band's like, yeah, 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 let's let's get to work. You know, we want to push There Will Be Blood. And he basically said no, you know. And then, you know, we got some shows. We started doing some shows in the area just to keep the visibility. And then we got offered uh, a Static X show. Wayne offered us to do direct support to House of Blues in Chicago. And our singer said, I can't do the show because that's the day of my friend's wedding rehearsal dinner rehearsal dinner and i was like look you're gonna get paid like 300 dollars to play a half hour like can you show up to the show and then dip out 
take an Uber, finish the gig, and go back to your friend's wedding rehearsal dinner. And, you know, all your friends kind of know you're in a band, yo. <laughs> and Wayne was alive. Wayne offered us direct support. It was a one-off show in Chicago at House of Blues. And I was like, look, we're doing this show. Like, we are doing this show. It's going to be great visibility. Our album's just popping. And we, we're not, we don't have a tour because you don't want to do this overkill tour. And he said no and basically drew a line in the sand, you know. And I was like, well, fuck you. So I reached out to a good friend of mine, Adam from Product of Hate. He had about five days to rehearse with us. And, you know, we did it. We played the show without germs, came on stage. We didn't tell anybody. Played it. Some people were confused for sure. You know, there's some fans in the audience that are like, whoa, who's this guy? But, you know, we played the show and, you know, uh, that was it. He was done. He was basically, you know, we were done with him. He was done with us. I, I think it was more of a power trip. I think he was trying to play the role of like, look, motherfucker, I'm the singer. And if I don't do it, you guys ain't doing shit. And I was like, yo, <laughs> that's not how I roll. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it also could just be, I think, you know, the unfortunately, what, you can draw a lot of distinctions between and parallels between if people aren't making, if if, if the, the output doesn't equal the input, if you've been grinding for a few years and, you, right. and you're like, I'm still struggling, I'm still ain't got no money, I'm still, and people, and it's just, it. sometimes they will like almost sandbag a situation um, almost to like, like like quitting without quitting almost. Does that make sense? Like, like they right. will, you know. Quit, you basically quit within yourself. Yeah. yeah, but but it's like they're actually not happy with the situation. So they'll kind of make things difficult so that it doesn't work out. But ultimately, they just were probably they just already done. gave up. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I think you need, you know, I've I've been there, you know, maybe not on this, that same uh, wavelength. But I've definitely been at that point where I'm like, Damn, is this shit even worth doing? I, you know, I came home. I, I'm, I'm broke. I'm, you know, I was, you know, I was, right. ho- I was homeless. You know, after after that overkill tour, no, yep. actually, it wasn't the overkill tour. It was the uh, the Shadows Fall tour. Not that not that long after that. Um, I can't remember. Was it Shadow? You guys did a Shadows Fall guy for a bit. Yeah. Oh nine or oh twelve. Was that what album was God for a bit on? Equilibrium was the last album we did. The one with Matt. Ah. Uh, um, oh yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. You know, and and you know, but even that Overkill tour, like we, you know, it, it was a pretty decent tour, but you know, we didn't come home with very much money. And I, you guys I just, were, you guys were direct support, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted to do that tour so bad, and Germs was like, "No, Overkill, we don't fit. We're too light." I'm like, "What are you talking about? God forbids direct support. Let's do this. You know, we fit great with God." And everybody in my band was like, "Yeah, we like God forbid." You know, I, I like Overkill. Obviously, I grew up listening to Overkill. Taking Over is one of my favorite thrash albums. But we were just like, you know, everybody in the band was going home and Germs wasn't. And I think a lot to do, uh, not to, you know, dwell on him as a person, but he definitely had a lot of people giving him outside opinions. And I think every girlfriend he had had an opinion that ended up dumping him after he wasn't in the band anyway. So karma's a bitch. So. <laughs> Goddamn salty man! Goddamn. Say, man, truth hurts sometimes. I've seen this movie a million times, and sometimes, <laughs> yo- sometimes Yoko's play a role, yo. It's true. <laughs> don't don't tell me you ain't seen well, it. I, well, I know I'll we say all this: have. every dude I know that's quit a band because of a girl, it was always a bad decision. Amen. You know, every every I can tell you 
every band I've been in that has had guy has had a guy in a band that has had either a wife or a girlfriend that was all knowing and all trying to get up in their stuff about biz or have an opinion about band has all ended. No, so every you- single one of them. The relationships ended, and especially when they're not in the band anymore. All of a sudden, they dumped them. <laughs> well, I mean, it, listen, it go a lot of ways. You can have Sharon, you know, and she fucking saves your career. And then, yeah, she's a smart businesswoman. That's yeah. night and day. She's not some nineteen-year-old chick at the bar wearing a miniskirt telling you what to do. You know? Wow. So, yo, <laughs> it's hard. It's real. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> germs is out. You guys. Get Travis Neal of uh, Divine Heresy fame, yeah. and then you change the name of the band to The Bloodline. Correct. Uh, was, it, was it still more or less the same band? Because I remember you sent me it some songs. You sent me some yeah, songs. You're like, we're going radio. Yeah. <laughs> but I it was didn't back sound. To active rock, yo. It didn't really sound that active rock to me. It was still metal. Yeah. I thought Poisonous was an active rock total track. Uh, when we wrote it, I thought that song was really strong. And we, we decided to change the name because, A, we knew we weren't going to keep playing Dirge Within songs. Travis really didn't sound anything like Germs. And we wanted to clean the slate. And then all of a sudden, Century Media was talking to me. They heard the demos. And uh, Marco and all of them were really into the band. And Don Robertson, uh, who was at the time, I think, the president of Century Media. It still was in North America. And they were into it. And we gave them the demos. And... You know, I think we had the name Bloodline. I don't remember if it was official yet, you know, or if it was still quote unquote a dirge within demos of a couple songs with Travis singing. And they were all into it. And we were like, yo, you know, this is the direction we're going. You know, it's metal, you know, like a five finger, all that remains type of thing. But we have an active rock appeal. There's a couple songs that are full on active rock, like Above the Rain by the Bloodline, I thought was one of my favorite active rock songs that never happened. <laughs> so we, we got signed to Century Media, and then all of a sudden Century Media sold to Sony. And they merged, and then all of a sudden they became, whoa, guys, we're going to go to another century. This is going to be a whole new thing of just our mainstream bands. And then Marco left the label. And we're like, oh, no. Marco's gone. He's our boy. And then all of a sudden, you know. What was Gitter? Didn't Gitter come on at that time? Not yet. Not yet. Ugh. And so, so then... We did a show in New York. Uh, we just we had uh, a little run with Doyle. We did, which was really a weird pairing. And uh, we played New York, and Robert Kampf, you know well, yes. And uh, and Mike and uh, Don Robertson came to the show. They were like, "You guys killed it." There was a handful of people. It was mainly industry. Like we had Munzee and obviously friends from other labels come out and booking agents, and we killed it. It was like you know a great little sh- intimate quote unquote showcase. And Don Roberts is like, we are going to push this like crazy. And then they didn't. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, we were having a hard time getting a booking agent. We were having a hard time getting tours that fit. And I mean, we're, we, we were, were also starting over, right? To a hundred percent. It was a new band. It was the bloodline. It was starting over again. And we were back in the van touring, you know, living the dream. And, uh, <laughs> is that dream in, the, in, in hand quotes? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it finally came down to, we did, you know, we did a little run with El Nino. We did a, a two-weeker, I think, with Doyle. And then we did about another month or so with Fear Factory, which was a great tour. And then, like, here we are about three tours in. And I said to the label, like, yo, you got to go to Active Rock. We have another tour opportunity after this Fear Factory tour. 
but you have to go to Active Rock. And the people involved in the other tour were like, if your label will commit to go to radio and promote a single, you will have this slot on the tour. And the label said, no, we are not going to radio. You did great at Under the Radar. We tested really well with the, with the, with like a, the track that wasn't even meant to be a track at radio. And it tested great and did good. And then they're like, no, no, we're not going to spend the money at Active Rock. We, we, we want to keep touring. We're like, look, we're not going to keep touring or getting any tours unless you go to radio. This band is built for Active Rock. And we've already done three tours. And we have to get onto this tour. And the label didn't commit to the Active Rock tour or single, and we lost that tour. Can I ask you a question? Uh, because I'm, despite be, being a band like uh, <laughs> that's had three number one Active Rock singles in a row and has a number two right now, um, will radio stations players? This is, by the way, this is so reflective right. of, of my ignorance and not. So I'm like, you know, no, no, next no, to why, why Monty Connor calls you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you have a hit, right, just a hit, like an undeniable hit, radio station just won't play it on their nope. own? Hell no. So how do, But how does that work? I don't get it. You so, know how it works? Tell me. It's called money, brother. Who are you paying, though? You're paying. You're called, it's called advertising on radio stations, which your label pays for to advertise and take out ads, quote, unquote, commercials for your band. Playing in Wichita, Kansas, bad wolves are coming. And all of a sudden, the station has to give them some favors or make sure that, you know, when the bigger bands at your management or label come through, that they come in and do an acoustic. So they make sure that, that your band gets their foot in the door and gets some love on, you know, to bump your track. But this is it. If the song sucks, it's not going to work. No matter how much Benjamin's is thrown or how much power is pushed, by whoever the, the god may be at your management or label, it all boils down to the song. You have to have the song. But if you have the song and you got the politics behind you and you got the money, you can pop that track. And there's lots of bands with no label right now that hire radio companies to work it, spend large amounts of money to pop a song. And it, it you know you may get in the top 20 to act of rock with a song like that. But if you have the real, really killer song and the right team, it will pop. And we thought we had it with the Bloodline. We had Poisonous and Divided and Above the Rain. We thought those three songs were built for active rock. Our producer and us really worked hard on those songs, and we thought Travis had the right voice. And, you know, the label just would not commit. And we were like, if you don't work this to active rock, this band is not going to go anywhere. And it didn't. The label didn't believe. They gave up. And then, bam, dropped us. We started writing new stuff, and then Travis quit. Another singer giving up. Yeah. And <laughs> listen, man, I'm sure, I'm sure it's um, I'm sure it's not you, man. I'm sure. It's, uh... <laughs> Come on, I'm not the record company. <laughs> you know? uh, but uh, okay, right. so so Travis leaves. Um, he basically said he was done with music. He sent us music. an email. Damn. A lot of people yeah. say that when they when they when they quit quit your <laughs> Yeah, he said he well well germs was actually. He 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 did quit music. But yeah, Ryan definitely he joined Drowning Pool. But uh You're a singer killer. Uh, I think that's what it is, man. You just you grind these dudes killer. and they're just like, you, you know what? Work. You know what, Sean? You made me just wanna become a fucking uh 
landscaper or a fucking plumber <laughs> I or anything but being yeah. in a van with this motherfucker right here. <laughs> hey man, I'll gladly, gladly take that title. Because if you if you if you don't work hard, you don't go far. Unless unless you got a fucking shitload of money and a fucking you know, then you can probably get a little bit of a dick in the door. But you know, but I think that, you know, Travis was at a time he said he was done with music. He shot the whole band an email. We were demoing, we were writing new stuff. I was talking to some labels that seemed interested. We just played a killer home show in Chicago, opening for Joey Jordison's band Vimic. It was a really good show for the Bloodline, especially. And you know, and then all of a sudden, like whatever, a month later after that gig, we were getting ready to do some other shows, and he shot us an email that he was done with music. And yeah. I don't think he really has done anything really that I know of since then. So. Okay, man. Like I said, singer killer. Um, so <laughs> singer killer. <laughs> so, dude, that's gonna be my side project. Singer hell yeah, killer. it's pretty. It's pretty good. But you guys so made I, some news. So, so you made some news a couple of years after that, and it said Dirge Within was getting back together. Right. And then right Germs after that, out to me. Germs reached out to me because he knew Bloodline was kind of falling apart. He talked to the drummer Frankie, and Frankie's like, "Yo, man, Germs keeps hitting me up," and I was like. All right, you know, I was, you know, a little more mature, a little more grown up, right? You know, a little more uh, preserved. And uh, I said, okay, let's take, you know, let me take a, a couple calls. And me and him had like, you know, two or three phone calls with germs. Uh, and he was really like, dude, I really want to do Dirge again. I really, really want to do it. I was like, yo, dude, like, <laughs> you left me high and dry, bro. And I and I and I'll say this, I always loved his voice. I still love his voice. His voice is like, great. Yeah, I loved his voice. He had a really big baritone voice for a little little guy. You know, uh, he was you know a powerful front man. I thought he was great on stage. He had charisma, and I'll never take any of that away from him. I loved his voice. I just you know wish he was. I wish he was as good as what the talent that I thought he had. You know. And when he was, and when he wanted to be, he was. Of course, I thought he was but great what, when he but was. But what happened? So he, he reached out to you, and then something else happened. We did. We started doing shows. We we booked two shows, and then all of a sudden, I was like, "Hey, yo! Some days we rehearse. Oh, I can't make it. Oh, I can't make it. Oh, I can't make it." I was like, "Yo, dude, we just did two shows, and you're already pulling this stuff. Oh, my work. Oh, my my new girlfriend. My new girlfriend. My new girlfriend." Oh, my new fiance, my new fiance. And I was like, oh, my God, deja vu. So he pulled the same song and dance. And basically, I think he realized once he got back in the game for that brief, short you know, moment that he realized, wow, I don't know what I just did. Did I really want to do this again? And I think he regretted that he put the olive branch out there to be in a band again. And I think – I think he didn't realize how serious I was about rebirthing Dirge Within. I was like, dude, we got a brand. We got two albums out. We got fans. I didn't want to kill Dirge Within. I, I was, you know, it was my baby after Soil, you know? And then he, you know, bounced. And I was like, oh, all right. This is it. I'm done. I'm I'm starting from scratch. I'm not going to jam with anybody that I've been in that band with. We're all friends still, you know, but, you know, some guys started playing in cover bands. One guy was done with music, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, man, like, 
this is like, you know, got to move on, you know? So I just started with repentance. I was like, all right, I'm going to find guys that I've never been in bands with really, except for the bass player, Mike Sylvester. He's the bass of repentance. And he's, he was like kind of quote unquote, the bassist of the bloodline, even though we never really technically had a bassist, we just had a live guy and Mike was that guy. But we, you know, so I was like, Mike, yo, I don't want to look for a bassist. Please stick with me right now. And I started showing him some of the new stuff I was writing. He's like, I'm in, just let's get this thing going. And then, uh, I started writing songs. Me and the guitar player, Marcus got together. He also plays in a band called them. That's just a Europe. They're, they're, they're from the States, but they have a European kind of fan base. Obviously, you know, uh, very power metal type stuff. But I was like, yo, let's hook up. Me and him start writing, put together, you know, the band. We had a drummer at first. The guy was kind of, eh. He really couldn't play the stuff in the studio well enough, so we got rid of him. And then we got Kanky from Straight Line Stitch now playing drums with us. And he'll be on a new album. And uh, the first single we put out for uh, Repentance was Only the Damned. And uh, that's got Kanky on drums. And then I was looking for a singer. And Rob from Nonpoint was like, yo, you should check out Robbie. He's in Stuck Mojo, but he lives in Chicago. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's in Stuck Mojo and he lives in Chicago. It's totally not what I'm looking <laughs> Like, yo, I'm not looking for a rapper, dude. You know, like, no disrespect to Stuck Mojo. But, you know, my memory of Mojo is, you know, full-on rap metal. Obviously, you know, uh, uh, Soil actually did shows with Mojo early on, like when we got our demos out. Rich put us on some shows, but so he's like, no, check it out. You should talk to Robbie. He wants to do some other projects because Mojo's really on this long hiatus because Rich is so busy with Fozzie, you know, with Chris Jericho, which is kind of a no brainer. Fozzie actually is pretty popular now. You know? Yeah, they're successful. Yeah. You know, and, and Rich, Rich has got his, you know, he's busy as hell with that. So long story short. I reached out to Robbie and I was like, Hey, can you send me some stuff of you singing stuff that I can hear? That's not, you know, no offense to stuck mojo. This is the kind of band I want to form. It's pissed off straight up, heavy, brutal metal, you know, modern, but brutal, but not, you know, not total cannibal corpse, you know, but he, uh, sent me some stuff of other projects he did in the past where he actually sings heavy. And I was like, ah, then he showed me a couple parts on some of the stuck mojo songs he's on where he sings heavy. And I was like, Oh dude, your heavy voice is really cool. Now, can you sing like that for every song? Like, and just stick to that. And he's like, yeah, no problem. So we just started writing songs and demoing and we put out a two song demo on YouTube only. That's all we put it on was uh, collide and born to choose. And then we got our first show in Chicago opening for trivium out at, uh, the forge it's called. And, uh, it was, I think it was about a year ago, our first show. And ever since then, we've been doing you know, like a handful of shows. And then recently we just said, okay, let's start writing. And then a friend of mine from a label reached out, Art is War Records, a new label. And uh, he's like, yo, let's do this record, man. You guys got a cool thing going. Let's do a real album. And Robbie was like, hey, we got we to gotta do a full record with this band. So that's what we're doing right now. We uh, are in the studio. Everything's done except for vocals. So we just finished tracking, actually, this uh, December and January, we've been in the studio recording all the music. Right on, man. You're 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 a, a true lifer, if there if there ever was one. You know, I, I always I always tell my wife like, look, if I'm not playing in a band, I will be the most miserable guy. And until the day comes that I really am sick of playing and hating, you know, 
picking up the fiddle, I'll know when it's done. But I, I still, dude, I, I play guitar almost every day, whether it's a half hour or five minutes or whatever. And when I get, you know, when it's just me with a guitar, I still love playing. I still love, I still create. I still write. And, you know, like, isn't that what it's really about at the end of the day? Like, you have to still love your instrument, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm the same way. For me, it's a... I don't know if it's like a nervous energy thing or or something, but I just could be. You know, I, I just kind of, you know, I can't just sit there. I have to like be doing something, you know. Um, and it's like, you know, it's it's just a feel thing. It's like I, if I haven't played guitar in a couple of days, it's like, you know, you're kind of like I don't oh, know. I get worried. Well, I, it's like I, totally yeah, I get worried. Like I gotta pick up or I'm gonna suck. Okay, yeah. I gotta, I, yeah. It, I, I I stress myself out if I don't play. I mean, there's times, you know. Obviously, with, when I had my son, Maddox, um, then I didn't have time to play guitar for a couple of days. And I was like, oh, I got to play. Or I tell my wife, like, you got to watch the baby for like 30 minutes. I got to go upstairs and riff out or I'm going to lose my mind or just to make sure my hands are moving and just keep your chops up. You know, because if you don't play guitar for, you know, a week, your right hand all of a sudden gets a little buttery, you know. So, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, but you also started uh, managing some bands as well. right? Yeah. Yeah. I. uh I was always kind of like had my hands involved with, you know, some smaller baby bands that I was trying to shop back. Even when I was in soil, I worked with this band from Florida called Order by Chaos. And they were really cool. You know, I guess you could call them new metal band. And I had a bunch of labels interested. And then all of a sudden, you know, new metal started falling apart. And the band, you know, had some problems within their camp and they fell apart. But they put out a really cool EP demo uh, song called Water. I really liked by them. Um, order by chaos but and then i just started you know getting involved with other bands and obviously i was involved very much with my you know with dirge within uh on the management side of stuff but i you know i had a long time friend steve from skin lab and we've had a long history uh you know obviously when i first met steve when he was in defiance but you know in the last year and a half now he's like hey you know why don't you just manage us you know we're not high maintenance you know what you're getting into. You, you know, you know this band. You know, you know what's good or what's not. And you know, we work together. And you know, they're a great band. The new album, Venomous, I'm really, really proud of. I think that their fan base is really into the record, and it's been really well received. And you know, they have a, they have their own trip, man. And then I also picked up um, a killer band called Arrival of Autumn on Nuclear Blast Entertainment, which Monty Connor signed. And I got turned on to them because they went to do some demos with Jason Sukoff. And uh, Jason's like, you know, he would always FaceTime me. He probably will FaceTime me uh, about 10 times today. But he kept FaceTiming when those kids were in the studio. And he's like, dude, you got to check this band out. You'll dig him. You'll dig him. You'll dig him. And I heard the demos. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then me and him brought it to Monty Connor at Nuclear Blast Entertainment. And Monty's like, look, with you and Jason involved, let's do this. Let's, let's all work together as a team so we we did it and uh the new album harbinger's out and i just got the guys some killer tours they were just out within flames they did a run with soulfly they did a little short run with skin lab earlier in the year or early last year i should say now sorry it's 2020 and uh so <laughs> they just they just wrapped up a great run with Inflames, and uh Inflames treated them so good anders and bjorn were so good to them, the band got so spoiled on that tour. <laughs> and it was a very successful tour for Arrival of Autumn. They built their – all their socials just went up big time. All their streams, uh, 
all their followers and the labels really happy because I got the guys working. So that's, a, that's an A plus tour, you know? Yeah, it was really an important tour. And uh, I think Inflames are with your management company, right? With your yeah, label, yeah. With, yeah. With, with, with Bad Wolves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's all, well, they, they changed the name now. It's um, yeah, what is it? Be- Better Noise Music. And I, noise. I believe the management is still 10th Street, but I'm not totally sure like with the, the names. But I, I imagine it's still, yeah, it's still yeah, 10th yeah. Street, but I think the label, the label changed the label. The side of the office is which, right? But yeah, they, <laughs> they, 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 you know, Inflames was a great tour with them for them and Soulfly too, even though Soulfly was different because there was like five or six bands. So it was a little, you know. Not a competition. Uh, yeah, and also, you know, it, they got to pay their dues, man, you know. They're they're a new band from Grand Prairie, British Columbia, the middle of nowhere Canada. Yeah. It's a, I mean, in that in that world and they're a little more on the technical kind of metal side of if, if I'm if I remember correctly, you know. A little bit, Arrival on a, li- a little I mean, hey, I think they're kind of in the ascendancy trivium zone vibe. Like, yeah. to me, I think people that listen to like that or, you know, or even, you know, Darkest Hour, stuff like that. You know, I think we'll totally dig a rival with on. Well, I, I just think in that scene, uh, there's a lot more expectation of periodic kind of incremental growth, you know, of not like, all right, we're going to get this single on the radio and then the band's life is totally going to change in, in one day. So you're, yeah. you know, so it's all about that, 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 that slow growing. Yeah. But, but you... I, I already explained to those guys, you're staying metal. You're not going active rock. Don't talk to me about radio. You're a metal band. You got to do this to be a metal band. And this is what you do to build up a fan base and move up the ladder. Don't talk to me about trying to write a radio hit. This isn't, this isn't what arrival of autumn's about. You know, it's like, there's just certain bands. They don't even need radio. I mean, perfect examples like lamb of God, like they, they've had some radio maybe with, uh, Redneck maybe was the song I think, but like realistically, Lamb of God is built on lifestyle and being a metal band, and they do great at that, and that's what some bands need to do, and it works, you know. No doubt, no doubt. But you you feel like you've you've you know it seems like in some ways a lot of musicians that become managers, you know, it's because they've kind of always been that, and you're just kind of using that skill set uh, to help other other artists but um yeah you know, so it seems it's, like it's, it's a natural fit thanks man yeah you know it's it's fun for me because you know sometimes like like i learned in dirge within like not everybody wants to listen to the guy in the band as the manager right you know like oh that's just sean's opinion but it's like yo you can't look at me as just sean you know like i kind of have a clue you know of what the heck to do in artist development but you know at the same time you know some people are green, but for me with management outside of my own type of bands, you know, or past bands, it's, it's fun for me to, to deal, to work with people that are hungry and driven and young and creative and, and talented and, and not jaded. And it, it's awesome. Like, you know, like arrival, a lot of guys are, you know, early twenties and it's great. Like they're really hungry. They're really driven. They're very talented and it's awesome. I'm lucky. I got them on nuclear blast and it, it's awesome. I mean, it's still work, you know. I mean, 
just because you're on nuclear blast entertainment doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going on to a five finger next week, you know? <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, so I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I want to, you know, uh, thank you so much for, for, for taking your time before I let you go. I just got to you know, mention, I don't know if there's something we're actually going to talk about, but it's something I'm just going to mention so that the, so that the listeners know. Is this for the, is this, is this, is this, off the record right now or is this no this is on the record <laughs> i don't care motherfucker you're, you're on blast right now um right. so Hit i call your best shot so i call sean the perez hilton of of metal um <laughs> because anything anytime some drama is going down you know i always get a text from sean you know he's just like or he'll Yo, just like man he'll like the tommy me... vex the tommy vex just flipped the bus i heard about it in wichita kansas i heard flipped tommy vex the flipped the bus our bus I'm never joking. flipped like, no, no, like he lifted the bus up. Oh, lifted the bus <laughs> up. He ain't that strong. But I'll Donkey say Kong. Anything. So I imagine since you text me, you know, all this, you're like, yo, what's going on with this? You must be texting a lot of people. Like you always have the inside. I got a network of Metal Brothers. But yeah. you love it, right? You love the gossip. It, you know what? I don't know if I love the you gossip. You love it. Don't lie, motherfucker. No, no but it, 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 <laughs> it's funny to hear some stuff. Obviously, I have my opinions about certain people in the industry. And obviously, I see, you know, who who I feel is real or who I respect and who I really mm, maybe ain't fond of or a certain band I don't like or whatever. But, you know, it, 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 it's 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 kind of funny sometimes to hear the dirt about stuff. Obviously, there's certain things I don't want to know about certain bands or don't or I feel bad about certain bands when they have to deal with certain stuff that's really not fun. Right. Or certain members of pain in the butt or certain, you know, uh, managers, a horrible person or this producer is a moron or whatever. I mean, I hear stuff all the time, but I don't know, man. Sometimes I think it's just like, man, why does everyone tell me they're dirt? <laughs> well, then you tell me and it's, and it's, it's, it's very, it's very entertaining. You know, me, I choose no sides, you know, I'm, I'm on everybody's side, of course. you know, um, <laughs> but Look maybe you. A little man, sug- you are, you are the, you're the prolarian. <laughs> that, that's right, man. I'm, a, I'm, I'm fucking, you know, I'm the, I'm the, DM, the DMZ over here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think you, know, you you should probably, you know, because you're the Perez Hilton of metal, but it's only uh, like, like uh. people don't really know. I'm, I don't think the normal people know, but we know the behind the scenes dudes. So maybe you need to start like a website or like a YouTube uh, show. I ain't going to compete with board or blabbermouth doing just fine. Not, nah, but and you know, but you know, like, but that's not thing, really like, a person. Like, that's, that's like, they just yeah, print shit. Yeah. Other people say you would be like the dude, you know? You yeah. Know. But see, like if I, told half the world online all the or a blog about some of the stuff i know from my friends bands i don't think i'd have those friends <laughs> yeah that's a good point that's a you good know what point. i mean like i respect some of my friends and bands privacy i know stuff about certain bands or stuff going on that really ain't nobody else's business right so like it's you know it's, it's not my place to blast it out there and that's you know i respect artists and friends i mean Obviously, one of my good friends is Rob Flynn, and he's been through some stuff lately. And obviously, there's probably a lot of stuff that went down that not everybody knows when the changing of the guards uh, with Machine Head. But yeah. you know, it's not it's not it's not my place to put out there why this guy left or that guy or what I think or what I really know what happened. You know, like yeah. it's not my place. And I, you know, I hate to use Rob as an example. You know, but obviously, the world knows that. Machine well, Head went through some lineup changes. Listen, b- yeah, based, yeah. based on the, the concept of my show, I'm often put in a difficult position, you know, because it's like, and I'm almost, I almost do the opposite 
of what probably another person would do in my position. Like, like if I was really um, all about seeking out kind of, you know, exploiting what my show is like someone, you know, like Phil and would leave machine head, you know, and I would immediately like, all right, I need to get them on the show and get the dirt. And, but I don't, you know, I almost do the opposite because I'm so close with so many of these people. I don't, uh, you, you know, it's not because these, a lot of these, these band divorces are ugly, you know, of course. Um, and Dude. I'm friends with mo- all the parties and I don't mm-hmm. want, you know, and it's, and it's totally. so, so sometimes and it's I, hard I, to, yeah. to come and up I, here. And I try not, I try not to take sides, but I also try to look at from whose side really makes the most sense, you know? Well, like I said, I, I can have my personal opinion on that, but it still won't like right. reflect my friendship or like allegiance. It's like, you know, if, if, unless that person does something to me, you know, um, totally, personally, totally, but, totally but it's like, I love, you know, Dave, I love Phil, I yeah. love Rob, you know, I love Phil's all, a good guy. Yeah. And I, um, yeah. you know, you know, but I understand that being a friend with someone is not like being in a band with someone and that things dude, night and day. Yeah. And there's certain yeah. things you're going to experience being in a band with someone that you're just not going to experience just being buddies or just being tour tour mates or something like that. So I, I, I try and uh, give, you know, that, that perspective, but anyway, just wanted to let you, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm exposing a lot today about who Sean glass is the world. He is the Prez Hilton of metal. He's the, he's the singer killer. Um, singer killer. <laughs> you know, he's don't be in a band with Sean. If you're a singer. Cause he's going to work your ass. Listen, huh? he'll, he isn't, he, he's, he's, you know, a lot of other people have wanted to quit music after not just singers. Right. So I'm just, but I'm just sing, talking about the singers right now. Hopefully, hey man, there's a lot of hey man, there's a lot of bodies behind me. That's there's right, a lot of dead soldiers. But and hey, I like it. No regrets. You just come up here and you're just yeah. like pissing on them bodies. I love it. I don't give a fuck because <laughs> if you ain't built to kill, fucking, then you failed. <laughs> All right, so. man. I think that's a great place to to wrap it up, man. Awesome. Uh, Thank really, you for having me on your show. Hell yeah, I this, hope it's a blast. I, I hope I hope that uh, everyone out there has at least listen to one song I wrote and hopefully something in my discography you like <laughs> keep flying the flag of rock and roll you know right, killing bro. it on tour man thanks brother I will talk to you later metal up your ass yeah. peace I'm
So that was Sean's newest band, Repentance, with their track, Only the Damned Die Young. Very metal, very heavy, very cool. Uh, yeah, that was a fun conversation. You know, I, I love mixing up with, with Sean, you know, me and him. <laughs> we don't always see eye to eye on everything, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's just cool to just know people for a long time and be able to to bust each other's balls and 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 not uh, take it too seriously. But I, I had a lot of fun with that, and I really appreciate Sean, you know, taking his time and, and uh, telling his story because, you know, a lot of that stuff, I don't know if he's really talked about in depth, at least that I have heard. So it was just to pique my curiosity on on his journey and his story, and, you know, and hopefully, you know, he he gets even more success uh, with with his new, his new band and new projects. Anyway, guys, uh, yeah, I'm like I said, I, I I leave, I get on a plane in the morning, gotta fly for about 14 hours, uh, which uh, should be fun. But no, I'm looking forward to we start in Stockholm, you know, and go to some places we haven't been. Like we, uh, Bad Wolves has not <clears throat> been to Scandinavia yet, so we get to hit a couple. We get to unfortunately we're, we have to miss the Finnish show, which I'm very angry about. But uh, we will be in Denmark, Sweden, and uh, Norway. And I think the only other place we go to where we haven't been is um, Hungary. So we'll be hitting Budapest. And then we have two headline shows, one in in uh, London and one in Belgium. And both of those are, I think, about three quarters sold out. So, And those are the only two headlining shows Battles is doing on this run. So if you're out there, get the tickets before they're gone because they will sell out. At least I hope they do. Um, and also we, we got some news today that Bad Wolves single Killing Me Slowly just went number one at Active Rock Radio, beating out guy a little guy named Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, and it's our fourth number one Active Rock single in a row, which is insane. Um, I don't know if we're just, uh, <laughs> you know, after talking to, to Sean about this stuff, I was like, are we just, are we just paying these people off? I don't know. I don't know how the... <laughs> I don't know how the radio game works, but for some reason, you know, I have to thank uh, Jackie Kaiser uh, at 10th Street. Um, so that's that, that's her game, and, and she's really killing it. And I guess they like the songs, and people like it. And I'm just going to keep uh, knocking on that wood and uh, be grateful for everything that I have. And I'm looking forward to getting back on the road and, and rocking out. You know, it's a, it's a blessed life. I'm not going to lie. It's not perfect. Everything is not perfect, but no one's life is perfect, but just being in the moment and enjoying the, that adventure, you know, and, and getting, getting out there and trying to just be a little bit better every day and give the people what they want, bring them, bring them the riffs and the rock. All right. I'm exhausted guys. I love you. Thanks for listening to the show. Tell your friends, tell your mama, tell your daddy and tell your daddy's mama and mamba is out. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. 
Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.